Welcome to uh, this evening's uh, Board of Trustees meeting. Um, we have a very full slate, um, and we will start off with roll call, please. Yes, Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Blue is going to be late today. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Splendorio. I'm here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, we will move into the public comment section right before we go into the full agenda. As a reminder to our public, uh, this this board fully appreciates the the, the utility of this uh, this item for our meetings. We encourage public comment. All feedback is a gift, as they say. Um, uh, our practice should be uh, for public comment to notify uh, the clerk of the board prior to the meeting and uh, we'll allocate the space dependent upon the number of speakers. Uh, uh, Madam Clerk, you, uh, I have an email from you 17 minutes ago. Uh, are there any updates to that? Um, I am checking right now, but my email's not loading. I will let you know in, in oh, yes, wait, here we go. Uh, and and, and other guidance on public comment as, as we kind of right-size ourselves. Uh, uh, public comment can be attributed to specific agenda items and if not for specific agenda items, this is the place for non-agendized items. Um, given uh, that I see uh, seven speakers uh, listed tonight, four non-agendized, two agendized, one, sorry, three agendized, we will uh, attribute three minutes to each of these non-agendized items. So uh, going forward, um, the clerk of the board uh, speakers will give you a 30-second uh, warning. Apologies, I'm running from my iPad this evening. So I'm having seeing everybody. So a little assistance from the other trustees. Speakers, if you'll get in line, we will go as follows. First, we'll hear from Matthew Jones, then Susan Sandoval, then Lucy Colvin, then Lori Wall. So um, speakers, three minutes each. We welcome your commentary. Uh, Mr. Matthew Jones, are you here with us this evening? Mr. Matthew Jones? All right, we'll put him back to the back of the line. Yeah, I just, I, sorry, I just spoke to him. He uh, stuck in traffic, so he's going to be getting on in about 10 minutes. Okay, got it. So um, we, we will defer on Matthew Jones. Uh, we'll go to Susan Sandoval. Susan, are you in the room this evening? I am. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Susan. Uh, we welcome your comments, and three minutes on the clock, if that's okay. Our clerk of the board will give you a 30-second warning. Uh, okay. And thank, thank you for speaking up. Thank you. So I'm really speaking tonight in regards to getting Alameda County to take AHS back. Um, we're seeing progress with the new administration, but it's not enough. AHS has deep structural and financial problems that it cannot fix on its own. Only the county could fix them. The Board of Supervisors needs to take responsibility for our most vulnerable patients, the unhoused, mental illness patients, the overall general community. Despite the best efforts of all that AHS has, as long as the BOS keeps passing the bucks, our patients will suffer. We're seeing tremendous amount of patients that are mental illness in these emergency rooms, and they're not getting the adequate care that they need. And so we do need bigger changes so that we're not back in the same crisis we were in the last year for another five to 10 years. 
No matter how great the trustees are, they're volunteers and have other jobs. The public health system is too big and important to be primarily managed by unelected volunteers. One billion in taxpayer money should be manageable ultimately by people who answer to the voters. So a Alameda County, I'm sorry, has too much wealth to have a struggling public health system. We really need this to be heard. Um, we were promised this at one time for us to be able to have ratification and be having this knowledge of getting this governance to be taken over by the county. Our patients are suffering. Our emergency rooms will suffer more. Thank you so much. Thank you for your commentary. Uh, as a note, there is an agendized item for further speakers, which is relating to governance, but we appreciate your comments. Next is Lucy Colvin. Lucy, are you in the room this evening? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, Lucy, good evening. Thank you. Thank you so much. My name is Lucy Colvin. I've worked as a therapist at the intensive outpatient program at Fairmont Hospital for over 22 years. Thank you for your time today. We want to thank the Board of Trustees and the current new AHS leadership for working with us to keep the IOP open, the intensive outpatient services. We were finally heard regarding our billing and epic problems that caused vast amounts of revenue to be lost. A consultant was hired to fix that. He is currently at work now doing that so we can bring in all our hard-earned revenue. We look forward to this, his completion of this task and also the pursuant analysis of our finances using correct and accurate data. We have been now told by leadership, by new leadership, that the IOP will remain open. So you can imagine our surprise when we saw an item in the budget under performance initiatives on page 34 that reads restructure IOP to a wellness model. And we are really appreciative that Mr. Fratsky has clarified for us that the IOP will remain open. Thank you. The staff at the IOP are hoping that before you pass the proposed budget today that you remove that item on page 34 as it reflects past old leadership's plans that have changed under the current new leadership. Also, we want to reiterate that the Highland and Fairmont IOPs are both very important to keep open. They serve large separate catchment areas in Alameda County. There has been a recommendation by old leadership to discontinue services for the seriously mentally ill population in the Highland catchment area. Not only does the Fairmont IOP not have the space to accommodate the Highland IOP's caseload, the Highland IOP serves a significant role in helping the persistently seriously mentally ill African American community in Alameda County. We are really grateful that the new leadership has kept the Highland IOP open and recognizes the role that the Highland IOP plays in the African American community. Let's not take let's not take these vital services for African American community away. Let's leave the IOP at Highland and expand and revive their program back to where it was at 120 patients. 
before the old AHS leadership began dismantling it. I listened to the Board of Supervisors meeting recently addressing the need to expand mental health services and access for African American community. Closing the Highland program would greatly reduce their services contrary to the county's current mandate. Again, thank you for working with us to keep the IOP open. We are relieved on behalf of this incredibly vulnerable population as frontline staff. We want to continue to be included in shaping any changes to the IOP and expansion of much needed services. Thank you, everybody. We uh, appreciate that. Thank you for your comments, Lucy. Um, You're welcome. Uh, uh, Council, you said there was another, uh, I'm going to, uh, go to Laurel Wall first, uh, and but I want to give uh, someone put someone in the batter's box. You said that there was uh, another volunteer, um, another uh, public comment. Yes, a public comment regarding governance. Uh, Molly Stewart. Molly Stewart, but okay, we can put that under under that item when we get to it. Molly Stewart. If you'll remind me if I drop that one. Absolutely. Molly Stewart. Next, we have Laurel Wall. Miss Wall, are you in the in the room this evening? Good evening. My name is Laura Wall, and I am also, like Lucy, a therapist at the intensive outpatient program at Fairmont Hospital. My colleagues and I very much appreciate Mr. Fratsky dialoguing with us, and we want to continue to work together. We are grateful neither Highland IOP nor Fairmont IOP are closing on either campus as we feared. Given that both programs are financially viable and vital for inclusion of their respective geographical locations, we can look forward to exchanges which include staff ideas for improving access and services for both Medicare severely mentally ill and Medi-Cal mild to moderate patients. We are glad both IOP campuses will remain open and not be restructured into a wellness model. We anticipate that Highland IOP will be moved under psychiatry as Fairmont was, as per the union agreement. Again, we thank you, the Board of Trustees and AHS leadership for not shutting down services. Appreciate it. Have a good evening. Thank you, Ms. Wall. Um, uh, comment to Madam Clerk, I believe Trustee Blue is now in the room for the record. Um, I'll, wrap back, I'll wrap back around to the first listed speaker was Mr. Matthew Jones. Mr. Jones, are you in the room? Mr. Jones, going once, going twice, going three times. We'll close out the non-agendized public uh, comments again this board uh, invites public comment and all feedback, as they say, is a gift. Will that uh, move to item A, the executive officer's report? We've lost a little time um, based on our uh, kind of uh, technical snafus. Two articles are included here, um, uh, both written by the same author for Harvard Business Review, talking about strategy. And, and, and um, uh, you know, Trustee Spondorio made some great comments on this at some of our recent meetings. This is the next frontier for this organization, is to define our strategy. I ask all our trustees to engage these articles. I ask our executive leadership team to engage these articles. And uh, I always love playbooks. One of the articles entitled Six Things That We Can Do to Help Define a Strategy. And one of the articles is even titled, uh, You May Think You Have a Strategic Plan, But You Don't. 
and and I'm going to say we don't have a strategic plan right now, and I think this is an imperative for uh, for the as for the direction of our organization. We have to define where we want to go before we can get there. And um, I'm not going to go through the article for time's sake, but I will open it up for a comment uh, on, on these two articles. Uh, I'll open up the floor. Remember, I can't see everybody, so trustees, just uh, go. <laughs> No trustee comment? Wow. I agree, I agree with your comment, uh, Mr. President, that uh, we don't have a strategic plan. And given the definition of the strategic plan, there's been very, very little or no discussion at the board level uh, or, or coming from management about uh, about real strategy, the way it's defined in the article. In the and and uh, I, I I would agree with you. This is you got to put out the fires first before we can look forward. And I I think we've uh, spent a lot of our time to do that. It is now time to to gaze forward um, uh, for this organization. Uh, from my perspective, I believe uh, I, all the trustees share that. And I think it's this this is the time to really start crafting that. Obviously, we need many of these building blocks to be in place. We're going to hear a super important uh, discussion um, from uh, Supervisor Chan this evening on 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 uh, on the direction of governance because that will play a central role in how we develop our strategies uh, and, and the like. Um, trustees, any other comments on this? I, and let me say, as, as the board president, th this this is our biggest next to do, uh, and. I think we've all been thinking about it, and uh, uh, it's about rock finding the right venue. We'll be having these discussions about this as we get to board calendar towards the towards the evening, because we need to square away these very deep dialogues. But these dialogues need to be borne out of other data, which is still cooking, uh, from my opinion. Um, Trustee Banerjee, Trustee Dong, Trustee Splendorio, Trustee Esteen, Jensen, Blue, any other comments? I do, Taft. Yes, sir. Of when course. You when you have the time to research these uh, articles, because um, that's great that you do that. Uh, I don't sleep, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a which is a bad thing. And, and I, I don't and I don't want to attend your memorial service anytime soon. So maybe get some sleep. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, and um, I don't know. These are the things that we that we have to think about, and hopefully that we're setting the tone for being a learning organization. Um, I'll, I'll sort of end this and, and hope that we'll add this to our growing library of things that we need to consider. But I think this is, this is job number one for us to help define where, where, where we have to go. Um, and obviously many balls up in the air to get towards that, but it doesn't mean we can't have the discussion. I think, uh, Eisenhower said, uh, plans are worthless, but planning is essential <laughs> and, uh, that's what we need to do. Um, I'll now defer to uh, Madam Vice President and Madam Secretary if they have any other comments before moving into item B. Uh, Madam Vice President, any comments? No, um, no comments. Thanks, Jeff. Those are good articles. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. And you keep sending me articles too. They will find a place with us. Uh, Trustee Esteem, Secretary Esteem. Um, I want to share just one 
quote, uh, that the essence of good government is trust. That's a quote from Kathleen Sebelius. Uh, she served during the Obama administration. And um, I think that's it. You know, as we figure out our roadmap for the year and we look at our budget summary later on, we hear about governance. We have all been tasked with serving the public. This is a public institution. And as we heard in public comment, our providers and our community are looking for us to be good stewards. Yes. Um, thank you, Trustee Esteen. So I'll take us back to that, this, the, the article and strategy. Step number one is kind of defining our stakeholders. Uh, and uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of that. But there are five other uh, items on that list. Again, I'll ask the public and I'll ask the trustees to read through. It's, it's actually a pretty decent playbook. And uh, actions and objectives are not strategy. Um, but but can but need to be folded into strategy. With that, I'll close out item A and I'll move to the big ticket item of the evening. Um, this is on the marquee. This is item B. Basically, this is the HMA Alameda Health System Governance Model Improvements uh, discussion. This will be led by um, uh, Supervisor Chan as well as Jonathan Friedman and Ethan Norris from HMA. Uh, I think everyone in the room is aware of, of, of this consultation, which has been had with HMA, to help redefine what is the ideal governance for, for Alameda Health System vis-a-vis our, our county partners. Uh, so with that, I, I, give the, I cede the floor to Supervisor Chan. Good evening, Supervisor Chan. Are you in the room? Apologies, I can't see everybody. Uh, good evening, trustees. Very uh, nice to see all of you and um, all the, the public who's listening into this. Um, I want to thank all the partners of the system and, and all of you for, for your hard work. So the first thing I want to say before I get into this is um, I know there were questions last time I was on a conference call with you about, um, you know, making sure that you feel secure going forward in your work. Uh, finding a permanent CEO um, and dealing with all the issues that you're dealing with. And I just want to assure you that since this is going to take probably longer than I thought, everything in government takes longer than you want, um, you should, you have the um, authority to go forward in all of those things. And the last thing we want to do um, during the course of these discussions is to destabilize the system in any way. So I, I just want to make that point uh, before I start. Um, so um, you're going to hear um, some recommendations tonight from Jonathan and Ethan. Um, I do want to say that um, we have actually shared um, these recommendations with labor. Um, they had some issues regarding the need to really look into the public model, the model of the county taking it over. Um, and so we, uh, uh, that's going to be done. So that's why this process is slowed down. Um, I do want to say that these recommendations were uh, not just from HMA, but the, the working group took a look at them. And um, I know that there are some complaints about the process and, and stuff, but I think there was probably some, some um, different, different uh, points of view in the sense that um, I had been tasked to do this very, very quickly um, by my friends and laborers and, uh, and others. So that's why we, did it this way, but we're just actually opening up the process now. Um, I had hoped that we could, uh, I had been told that uh, 
uh, we were operating on the assumption that we should finish by March, but we're, uh, we, we were late um, and it's going to be even later at this point. So um, I just wanted to let you know that. Um, and uh, we can talk about this later, but the county will be undertaking a study of what it would take to uh, return um, the institution to the county. I don't think you should worry about that. When we moved into the, the uh, model that we're in now, it took two to three years because you have to transfer all the employees and there are a lot of issues that have to be taken care of. So this would take um, a number of years um, to accomplish um, if, if that's the direction our board decides to go in. And the suggestion that the um, the group came out with, actually, we did all call it an interim solution in the sense that we felt that um, we didn't want to just have replaced the trustees. You guys are all really great, but um, someone said we don't want to just rearrange the, de the deck, deck chairs on the Titanic. I don't think it's the Titanic myself. One of our board members said that. Um, so I think that these recommendations you're going to hear um, have to do with really improving the relationship um, financial, structural, uh, governance-wise between the county and um, and your system. Um, but the process will continue. Um, in, in uh, The other thing I want to tell you is that in the fall, as the chair of the health committee, I plan to convene a number of public meetings about the future of the, the health care system. Uh, uh, not just you, but the future of the safety net, where we're going. There are a lot of changes taking place at the state level with the Alameda Alliance um, and with the new waiver. Um, there's, you know, we have a new administration. We've gone through COVID. Um, so we had done uh, a very detailed evaluation back in 2011-12 when the ACA started, but we haven't evaluated the safety net since then. So I'm going to be concentrating on holding uh, a number of hearings in the fall around this and the governance um, after we get through this period the board has assigned Richard Valle um, to take that on and um, I guess the last thing I want to say is unfortunately because the public system serves those um, who really need services but often don't have the resources and Alameda County has always wanted to serve everyone regardless of their income, regardless of their immigration status, um, regardless of their health status. I don't think, this is just my opinion, there's any magic bullet. Um, I was a trustee of the system in the 90s, and um, even back then we were, we were cutting budgets. So we need to all stick together, work together, and understand that there's, there's no appreciation uh, in the bigger world. Um, of the public system. I mean, when I say that, I mean from the corporate side, from the for-profit healthcare side. And so whatever we do, we'll be constantly um, trying to be, think outside the box and work on creative solutions because there is no magic bullet. I wish there were magic bullets, but I've been doing this work um, with this system for 26 years and I have not found the magic bullet yet. So if you find it, you should let me know. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to um, to the consultants, Jonathan and Ethan, and then we'll uh, take the course. Su Supervisor Chan, thank you for those introductory comments. Um, 
uh, as an in in interlude, apologies, uh, this is my mismanagement. We actually have two public commentaries on this agenda item. I'm gonna sneak that in right after Supervisor Chan's comments right here before the presentation. And then I'm gonna uh, prep our uh, uh, esteemed trustees to, to get your thinking hats on and, 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 and that's why Mr. Friedman and Mr. Norris are here to help us answer some questions. So we have two uh, public comments on this agenda, I agenda item B, apologies that I didn't get it in before uh, uh, the supervisor's comments. Osariemi Omakaro, and then we're gonna do Molly Stewart. I believe those are the two which were for this uh, agenda item. Ms. Omakaro, are you in the room? Ms. Stewart, are you in the room? Yes. Good Good evening, good evening, Ms. Stewart. Um, uh, we'll, we'll give the floor to you and hopefully Ms. Um, Omakaro will, will give you a follow-up. You have three minutes on the clock, uh, Ms. Stewart. I'm Thank here, you. I'm here, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, uh, please, Ms. Omakaro, if you'll, if you'll go first. I can go after her. No, Sorry, please, where I am has poor connection, okay. Please go ahead. Sure, definitely. So greetings, everyone. I My concerns were just towards the county governance. I've heard what Ms. Chan has mentioned, and I just like to go back to some of the promises that we were given to as an employee and staff of HS. I've seen that we want more interaction and we want more SEIU, not just SEIU, but more employees assisting with decisions and buy-ins just towards the whole county, as because those were affected by every decision that's made, not just the decisions that are made, just briefly having good collaboration with each and every one of you to better enhance our services. At the end of the day, most of the things we do are for our patients and we want to serve them effectively and positively, but by also having a piece in the decisions that are made, just because we are considered as frontline staff our concerns, our values, and things like that should be implemented for better service. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your comments. Ms. Stewart, uh, the floor is yours. Thanks for the opportunity to comment on this. Um, as a patient with Medi-Cal, I've uh, depended on the services at Highland Hospital for years, and uh, I supported the strike uh, at AHS last year because I knew that the workers were striking not just for better conditions for themselves, but also for better health care for patients like me. And they knew then, um, and we all still know, that that's going to require the county to take direct responsibility for AHS and make sure that it has all the resources that it needs. Um, and so during the strike, I, I heard Supervisor Chan say, promise um, to prioritize the needs of AHS and, and do what it takes to ensure that quality patient care. Um, and now eight months later, um, you know, I read the report uh, with the recommendations and I'm concerned. I don't see any indication that the, the county is really planning to take back control um, in, in due time. So I'm just here to say that I sincerely hope that, um, that you're not going back on your word and um, that patients are waiting and counting on you to follow through and create a governance structure that allows the county to fully fund AHS. So thank you so much. Thank you for your comments, Ms. Stewart. Um, with, with that, we'll close out public comment and now we'll get into the meat of it. Trustee Jensen, I see your hand up. Are, do you have a comment? 
No, um, I'm not sure why that happened, but no comment. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, so uh, let's all take a deep breath and let, let, let's hear the, the work that HMA has been doing for the past six, nine months or so. And uh, I welcome Mr. Ethan Norris and Mr. Jonathan Friedman. Good evening, gentlemen. I Thank can't you. see you, so I presume you're here. Yeah, we're here. Thank you, Dr. Pickett. Of course, sir. Back up. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, members of the board. Um, this is, uh, I'm going to walk you through the, this report. It starts with our, um, our findings and recommendations, and then it has some supplemental material behind it um, that are uh, uh, rel relative to options and, as well as um, 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 some summary statistics about what other counties do. Next slide. Um, this is what I just outlined. What I'd like to share here is that we were engaged to look at options to improve the governance of the Alameda Health System. We had a two-part review. Much of this you've heard. I presented to you uh, many months back at the outset of this. Uh, it's developed comparative information about how other California county hospitals are governed. And we've interviewed approximately 50 stakeholders and to identify areas of improvement related to accountability relationships and transparency with the county and other key entities. And we worked with a um, work group of the uh, Supervisor Valle and Supervisor Chan and county staff um, on, on these options. Next slide. Um, these were the, the questions that uh, many of you who were interviewed that we focused on in those interviews about looking at the relationship of the uh, AHS executive and the executive leadership team to the Board of Trustees and the Board of Supervisors, uh, what types of relationships exist in and, and outside the organization, including labor organizations and sister agencies like the Healthcare Services Agency, and transparency were decisions uh, in being known and was there timely notification of issues to the county, the board, and partners. Yeah. Next slide. Um, before we get there, because I just want to share with you that in general, counties have taken these five paths with what to do with their county hospitals. Many counties continue to operate um, hospitals. Uh, some have established an authority um, uh, with some independence, such as Alameda and Kern. Uh, some have developed a new corporate entity. Some have transferred their county hospital to another entity like the University of California in, in some counties. And uh, about 30 counties have closed county hospitals. Next slide. And then within the counties, the way in which counties operate hospitals. So among the counties that operate hospitals, there is variation in how a hospital CEO is selected, how the chief executive in effect is, is determined, who performs the day-to-day -day oversight of the governing board, and how boards of supervisors approach their governing board responsibilities. There's many different models among those counties that could operate hospitals today. Next slide. So let me summarize our observations based on interviews and reviewing materials uh, 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 that have been provided. Um, what's working? There's a 20, over 20 year operational performance of the enterprise. 
there's a pay down of the county line of credit. There's uh, this, uh, the enterprise had uh, deficits uh, and there's still a, a deficit that's in a pay down, uh, but there's been success objective success in paying down that line of credit over over the period of time. Uh, mostly everybody we've interviewed have been very positive about the EPIC uh, deployment, very hard. It's been very good. And there's still implementation underway. We observe good problem-solving relationships with healthcare services agencies on specific issues and topics. I'll get to that in a second slide. Similarly, there's good problem-solving relationships with the Alameda Alliance for Health. Our view that there's a very good array of uh, financial and operational metrics by which to make decisions. There's always areas of improvement. Uh, I know there are challenges at getting at unit costs, and so you can look at, at, at certain types of performance and certain service lines. But on a whole, you can uh, adequately look at the uh, operational performance of the enterprise with uh, the information that's been that's being generated uh, for you. Uh, and most importantly, I, I think on, along this line is that you have very good collaborative relationship with other community providers, particularly the QHC array. Next slide. What's not working? Uh, we observed uh, an uneven performance of the former Board of Trustees members and former AHS management to ensure a strong partnership with the workforce. That's not necessarily labor, but that's to engage the workforce. It's inclusive of labor, uh, but uh, just a posture that the workers uh, and the, the, the entire human capital of the enterprise, uh, we have to be in a partnership model uh, uh, throughout. That is a hallmark you see across successful healthcare organizations. Um, there's a lack of a joint operations body to adjust program planning between the county, the healthcare services agency, and AHS. So there's a lot of point-to-point -point interactions around topics, issues, things that pop up, but there isn't a strategy. So how should we look at, at uh, infant mortality? How should we look at home visiting? How should we look at STDs? How should we look at PrEP? Uh, there's all kinds of things where, where I think there can be collaborative. Uh, planning going on. In fact, we had recommended this when we were, uh, my firm was uh, engaged in, in 2015 uh, to look at uh, uh, aspects of uh, what was going on in Alameda County. We observed compartmentalized information among former board of trustees and certain former um, uh, board members in AHS management. So this is both among the board of trustees uh, and with certain board of trustees and the management is uh, uh, certainly, I want to stress that that was former. Uh, I've shared this with your leadership uh, on the Board of Trustees and with the, the, the uh, with your interim CEO as well. Um, and uh, I know that you all are all taking this seriously to make sure that there's uh, adequate information flow and level setting across the, your, your governance structure and your management decisions. Uh, there's also... Uh, there is not a long-term financial plan uh, that, or let me restate that, the long-term financial plan needs updating for um, uh, the new uh, horizon as uh, Supervisor Chan uh, mentioned. Next slide. Some high risk areas, the lack of a labor management partnership uh, around uh, how to look at all issues within the workforce, uh, particularly those that are 
um, collectively bargain. Uh, there's issues around um, job mobility, uh, incumbent workers, training, safety, all of those types of things. So they need to be in a partnership model so they don't become everything shows up at the bargaining table uh, and uh, bargaining environments are really not uh, fully uh, conducive to effective problem solving and longstanding relationships. Um, uh, the progress of the new board of trustees and the interim management to gain stability is a high risk area. Um, the lack of a unified North Star plan for the Alameda County safety net. Uh, you have extreme competition and haves and have nots in your ecosystem there. Um, and uh, uh, that is an important consideration that you have to, the safety net must pull together and look at itself collectively in all the assets uh, and has to move in concert with one another from the health plan perspective, from the healthcare services agency, the community providers, the, the public system uh, as well. They all have to be aligned. Um, there's a there's a, a rhythm and a and a process that has to occur where the where the county and AHS has to be in alignment on um, Medi-Cal uh, repayments. I know your CFO has advised you of um, the, the county line of credit and the operational demands, and so all of that has to be in constant arrangement because of the way in which uh, uh, the county serves as your banker. Uh, the way in which you have obligations uh, in the enterprise there, uh, complicated funding flows with supplemental payments, complicated by that uh, there isn't necessarily state money uh, flowing in those payments, so there's intergovernmental transfers that, that occur. All of that has to be tightly synchronized. Um, that occurs in every county that has a public hospital, by the way, but this has to be really tight in, 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 in sequence with one another. Um, and then obviously you're keenly aware of this as joint commission follow through on uh, improvements and fixes and mitigations from your, from your last survey. Next slide. So we formulated a, a set of improvements uh, to, the, to the governance model that uh, includes adding county officers to the board of trustees that would require AHS to present a budget and an operating plan to the Board of Supervisors that would involve the county and CEO selection and evaluation, that you establish a joint county AHS operations committee, that there be a joint financial fiscal, fiscal strategy discussion, unified plan for the safety net, perhaps additional qualifications for trustees based on needed skill sets and improve board of trustees trains where, where, where that can occur. The items here that are, have an asterisk are require some combination of changes either through state statute, county ordinance or bylaw changes. So there's a contingency in, in terms of implementing this, this particular set of recommendations. Next slide. Some further clarity on, on pieces of what we're recommending. Um, when we say add county officers to the Board of Trustees, we would recommend a representative, the CAO, Healthcare Services Agency, and the Auditor Controller would not increase the size of the Board of Trustees, so it would remain at nine. 
presentation of the budget and operating plan to the Board of Supervisors and county input on CEO selection and evaluation. Those are in, in addition to the existing accountabilities for the county um, has uh, tools and um, oversight of AHS through lease uh, arrangements, through the program agreements that are with the Health Care Services Agency, and of course the permanent agreement, um, which is uh, your core financial structures structured relationship with the county. Um, if we were to effectuate these changes, they're contingent on legislation. Uh, if urgency legislation were adopted, um, uh, you know, this could be just on, a, on the bottom half of the slide uh, that perhaps could occur in January and February of 22. There is a spot bill uh, for uh, that is now a two-year bill, uh, so that's for the next year's session. But uh, if that is activated and brought forward, the enabling aspects of this recommendation could occur in, in January and February, and ordinance and bylaw changes could occur in, in, in that time frame. That's 2022. Next slide. Um, here's some outline of the rationales for this model change. Uh, it improves accountability and transparency. It brings county officials added to the AHS board. The board has supervisors has input into the AHS budget process and also really into the evaluation selection process, which did not occur today. Um, they improve operational relationships by establishing a joint committee and a fiscal strategy process between the parties and a unified plan for the safety net in Alameda. And it also allows um, a significant increase in alignment with the county while allowing AHS to follow through on joint commission work, stabilizing management and focus on operational performance. Um, a key issue, safety net systems no longer get funded because they exist, they have to, they have to earn base payments, supplemental payments, incentive payments by what they do and increasingly that's associated with operational performance in some fashion. And it maintains your nimbleness as an enterprise to respond to market competition and implement Medi-Cal reforms. Next slide. Um, this is what just a schematic as to what options would, would look like. We, we actually did conceptualize an option that um, uh, this is what is uh, recommended here, uh, that the, the Alameda County Board still appoints the Board of Trustees. The Board of Trustees is the responsible entity over the Alameda Health System. And it is contingent upon an enabling uh, modifications to enabling statute. The next, we did consider another option here, which is the next slide which is to have the Board of Supervisors uh, in effect replace the Board of Trustees, uh, but the operational structure of AHS remains the same. Uh, so so the, the AHS retains the employment uh, relationship. In this option, the Board of Supervisors could delegate certain governing board functions to a subsidiary body uh, to handle quality or aspects of oversight 
as, as occurs in other counties. Next slide. Um, these are the, just a, a summary of, of that two options. We felt two recommended. There were other options we, were, we did not recommend. Um, the status quo is, is uh, the accountability that occurred by changing the board of trustees and changing the management. Uh, there was still, uh, we would recommend additional improvements to to bring the Alameda Health System and the county into a, a better state of equilibrium with one another. Um, so we did not consider a status quo staying put as an as a effective option. Uh, the return to Alameda County, uh, the time frame of being able to accomplish something like that is uncertain. There's a number of feasibility issues related to legal workforce, operational uh, financial issues, which I'll outline. Uh, transfer to a, or to a new corporation. It's not consistent with increased county oversight in, in the, in the uh, uh, framework for Alameda County. And closure is obviously not consistent with the policy objectives of, of uh, the county and the community in Alameda. Next slide. Um, this slide outlines uh, uh, aspects of uh, questions that have to be answered and analyzed uh, relative to the option of returning AHS Enterprise to, the, to uh, in essence, the county government. Um, uh, there are authorities related to the county charter and ordinances, uh, the AHS enabling statute. There's financial uh, aspects related to the line of credit obligation. Where is that, how is that obligation handled? Medi-Cal finances, such as the, uh, the repayments the state related to prior period Medi-Cal payments, unfunded pension liabilities, where does that get solved? Measure A, uh, there's aspects of Measure A that I believe designate the AHS system uh, there, so that has to be understood. The workforce, obviously, employer record changes, pension model changes, position model changes, which you've gone through a number um, in the AHS. What are the implications there? There's a JPA uh, with the Alameda Health District. Uh, there's provisions within that that have to be analyzed, the impact of San Leandro facility. And of course, the impact of other county departments. Um, and uh, just using this as an example here, there's uh, uh, whatever AHS vendor relationships, meaning um, uh, that you might have that may not be severable or movable uh, in your supply chain or, or other types of uh, maybe equipment and capital that exists within your portfolio. All of those need to be examined carefully, understood uh, where the parameters are in order to identify the pathway uh, in terms of uh, a return to Alameda uh, model. Um, and uh, what the steps would be, the sequencing of that in order to, to effectuate that option. We are not here to say that a return to Alameda County is not ineffective uh, or that it can't accomplish uh, there. Um, that obviously there's counties that run their county hospitals uh, here, but uh, where you stand today, uh, that option with, uh, in the absence of, of um, uh, well, in that option requires analysis of these very significant issues to see the pathway 
and whether that option is can be effectuated. Next slide. So each of the options that we presented significantly improve in our mind accountability relationships and transparency over the current state. My view, our view, is that in terms of safety net funding, in terms of, of all the revenues that come into the facility that are associated with operation, operating subsidies, et cetera, the model is really doesn't change uh, that, that uh, um, equation uh, there. And the nimbleness, you have a higher degree of nimbleness today uh, because you have more operational freedom in the model today um, and less less processes, procedures, et cetera, that uh, was part of the rationale to, um, and, and is a rationale for moving uh, county hospitals to an alternative form of governance. And the nimbleness is associated with market conditions and the ability to move quickly within a competitive marketplace. Next slide. We did look at other counties. Um, I touched on these. I can go through this uh, in detail if you'd like, uh, uh, Dr. Paquette, or we can. I think we're probably pretty good on this part because this is what everyone else is doing. And, and, and thank you. You've been pretty clear on making a recommendation. So um, I'm going to uh, not cut you off, of course, let you speak, but I want to let the trustees start to get their thinking hats on. This is supposed to be a dialogue. I'll also invite uh, opportunity for both our CEO, COO, and, and CMO if they have any other questions. Apologies again, everyone. I'm running it from an iPad, so I can't see hands being raised. Um, so uh, I'll, t I'll take it. We'll, we'll do it with good decorum. And Jonathan, is this an okay place, sir, to, to open up for questions? Yeah, happy to take them. Thank you. So uh, trustees... Um, I, I have a set of questions, but I'd uh, but but I want to get in line like everybody else, and I can't see everyone. If someone can just uh, uh, let's start off with a trustee, and then I'll leave it up to our uh, CEO, CMO, and uh, COO if they have any questions. Trustees, any questions on the report as presented by Mr. Friedman? Why don't we take the slide down so that we can kind of see each other? Yeah. Thank okay. thank you, Supervisor Chan. Okay. Um, so I'm scanning. I only have 12 people in this window. Come on, trustees. I know you got questions. Seriously. <laughs> You're thinking about the budget. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Trustee Jensen just went off mute. Um, uh, Trustee Jensen, good evening. Thank you. Um, thank you, Dr. Bouquette. My question is actually about the, the makeup of the board. And I understand that the, I, I saw the discussion of having nine board members and it sounds to me like HMA is not recommending a change to the number of board members with the addition of the county representatives. And so I'm just um, asked, that's my question. Would HMA feel that the board, the nine member board is at a good size right now and that that was um, a discussion or thought of increasing the number of board members with the addition of the county representatives? Our view is to keep it at a smaller number. Um, part of the, the dynamics here 
are um, are you too far away from the county or are you too close to the county? And, and so by putting uh, county officers on the board, the county has a stronger interest in what is going on in, uh, in AHS. Um, there, if you were to increase the um, uh, number of the board, then the proportionate weight of the county's uh, uh, vo votes in effect would be smaller. So that was the rationale behind that. No, that, that makes sense. So it, it makes it so that there's more of a partnership. And I think that's great. I, I appreciate the model. And I think that actually it could work. You know, we, some board members, and as you noted, there have been different boards and different leadership at AHS in the past, but some board members have um, looked to partner more and be more um, communicative with the county. And so I, I, that's what I really appreciate about this model. And I just want to point out that, and I understand there'll be bylaw changes and governance changes. Uh, I want to point out, of course, that I would be remiss if I didn't point out as the representative on the board through the joint powers agreement that um, I would definitely be strongly urging that the seat for um, the, the reserve seats, of which there are two, myself and the the MEC seat that those be retained. And I don't know if there was any discussion or consideration of that in the in your report. That was our intent. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Trustee Jensen. I see a hand up from Trustee Dong. Good evening, Trustee Dong. Hello, good evening. I, I have uh, an observation and a statement rather than yes, a question. Yes, ma'am. I thank you for um, Supervisor Chan and HMA's report. Uh, first, I want to say that I believe this Board of Trustees uh, fully acknowledges, and I personally, in various capacities, have worked with other Board of Trustees of this very same system um, dating back to ACMC. So I do want to acknowledge for ourselves that we, acknowledge, we know how important our relationship with the county is from every aspect and we also appreciate the partnership that we have with the county I, and i will say as chair of governance um, ad hoc committee that i want to thank uh supervisor chan and vanessa sedeno uh, for really coming to our board of trustees and sharing much of this information um, with us and really allowing our employees and our stakeholders to be able to be part of this process, even though we are not, the trustees are not the decision makers. So I just want to express how many people, a hundred people almost at each meeting um, of the two meetings and sharing information and how important that is to our people um, that come and, and listen and hear this. This is not just us nine listening nine listening we have mark now so it's nine it's our whole organization and that means a lot to the culture and the health of our um, people so i want to say thank you that concludes my comment thank you trustee dong other trustees comments trustee banerjee hi good evening trustee banerjee thank you chair Bukit. um thank you supervisor chan um vanessa sedeno for um, being such staunch supporters of our um, health system. And thank you to the HMA to 
um, for this report. One of the things that I think that is implied, but probably not <clears throat> explicit in your report, is the three things you said was accountability, transparency, and what was uh, uh, relationships. relationships, relationships. And so I'm assuming that with the uh, with the addition of Hicksa or county leaders on our board, and then uh, with the with the with a joint operational body body that brings the two together, because that's something even the previous board has been asking a lot. But like in this spirit of partnership, especially uh, as uh, Supervisor Chan also mentioned, what we've said is that having a safe a plan for the whole county, a safety net plan for the county. Each of these are bi-directional. So in uh, these accountabilities, the uh, transparency, the relationships, uh, mutual accountabilities they go to. So uh, one of the things, one of the reasons why sometimes internal stakeholders <clears throat> might feel a little bit of angst is that the idea shouldn't, the, the, um, it shouldn't feel like, okay, this board is good right now or, uh, you know, relatively good that, that there'll be a 10 years later, 15 years later, like yet another massive switch will happen. So just kind of reiterating and messaging again and again that these are bi-directional um, accountabilities, not just an oversight where, you know, the county is um, um, expecting this of uh, the AHS. Um, governing body, management, staff, workforce, but also that uh, similarly that we, uh, that the AHS workforce um, and management um, will also have that same kind of um, expectation from all of the, from all of the stakeholders that are so, we've, we, you know, have a shared goal to have AHS succeed. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee, for the comments. Um, um, let's go to uh, our CEO, Mr. Jackson. You have comments, sir. I'm still looking for you. There you are, sir. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to weigh in. Um, my comments are prefaced by the what I believe is a rather apparent um, conflict of interest on my part, because obviously... I am interim, and so this um, decision has implications for my personal future. And so I want to just acknowledge that. But at the same time, I do have observations. I've been in the role for about four and a half months now, and so I, I do, and I had my prior experiences here. Um, I'm grateful for the comments regarding accountability, transparency, and relationships. And certainly in the past four-plus months, I, I believe that we've made strong progress in those areas. Um, but there's more to be done. And I also feel that there is a, a risk by having this decision drawn out too long because there is a perception in the organization that there is a lack of stability. And so despite the progress that we've made over the past four months, um, the staff feel um, unsure about the, the direction that the organization is going in. And that manifests during in a number of ways, but certainly during our weekly chats. Every Wednesday we do a, a desktop chat, and that is inevitable that in the Q&A session that question comes up about governance, about the leadership structure, about the fluidity of the leadership team. And so um, rather than weighing in with a specific opinion, I would just offer that to the extent that we can provide stability 
and confidence to our staff, who are the lifeblood of the organization, I urge that we do so at the earliest opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Um, uh, Mr. Friedman, and then I think our chief medical officer has a comment, Ms. Dr. Jamaladeen. Uh, Trustee Friedman, good evening. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I really appreciate uh, Supervisor Chan's leadership all throughout this process, and of course, for many years, and also Supervisor Valle stepping up in this process. I agree with our CEO that the longer we draw it out with leaving employees, leaving the community, leaving stakeholders in limbo, um, the more possibility of sort of more going in disparate tendencies, uh, you know, rather than bringing us together, that can exacerbate some of the divisions and tensions that are already there. Um, I think that the Board of Supervisors certainly has the best interests of the community in mind in this process. And I think all of we as trustees do. That's really our bottom line. How do we develop the highest quality services most effectively? And the different models can probably get us there, but it's a question of choosing a model that the most stakeholders can get behind enthusiastically rather than everybody sort of picking the lowest common denominator is, yeah, I guess I'll sign off on that. So getting to that level of unanimity or at least uh, acceptance is a very difficult thing. And I understand why Supervisor Chan says that can take a long time. So it's a, a really tricky problem to go with some speed, but to make sure every step is done in the manner that it needs to. Thank you for your comments, Trustee Friedman. I see a hand up from Trustee Esteen. Then I think Dr. Jamaladeen has some comments. And again, we're trying to stoke the fires of dialogue rather than suppress. So I, I appreciate the people making comments. Trustee Esteen, you're on. Thank you. Uh, you know, thank you very much, Supervisor Chan, and to uh, our partners at HMA for sharing this presentation with us again and helping us understand all the options that exist in California and that could exist here. Um, we did get a letter from uh, CNA and SCIU 1021 earlier this afternoon. Um, and there's a couple pieces that uh, stuck out to me. Uh, one is, I'll, I'll just read from the letter. In a moment when the Department of Justice is investigating Alameda County and the county is facing lawsuits about our failure to provide adequate services to mentally ill people, the solutions are clear. A patient struggling with severe mental illness who is seen one day at a county-run clinic, another day at a county-funded nonprofit, another day in John George, and another day in county jail, does not know that they are moving between multiple governance regimes with the same ultimate funder. They only know that the system is failing them. Um, I think that, I'll just read one more thing. To be sure, there are challenges to bring back AHS to the county. We've been waiting for two years to begin the discussion where everyone involved can talk through the issues and see how resolvable these challenges really are. Labor has never been at that table. The HMA report was a fine start, but was not remotely a process we support. The current board of trustees was the interim plan. 
We don't want to rush to the wrong decision because it's easy. We want to get it right now, even if it takes time to implement. We've been waiting patiently to get to work with the county and AHS on this project that is vital to our public health system. That are, is words that are signed by Nato Green and Mabel Lamb from SCIU 10 to 1 and California Nurse Association. Um, so I appreciate your opening comments, Supervisor Chan, because you did say that this would be a time-consuming process. And you also said that um, the county would begin to study what it will be to take back the system. So with that being said, I digress. I get back my time. Thank you, Super uh, Trustee Esteen. Dr. Jamaluddin, um, do you have some, uh, you had some comments, uh, sir? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Trustee Phuket. Can you hear me? Yes, very good, sir. Yeah, thank you. I, I just want to uh, express my appreciation for the dialogue and for the presentation of Mr. Jonathan and just highlight uh, a few items in his presentation that we should keep in our perspective as we talk uh, in the future about strategy. One is, uh, you know, as a safety net, we are not going to have any more free lunch like we used in the past. Every, every supplemental dollar we are going to get is going to be value-based. Uh, and that's, that's extremely important to put into perspective. And then we have uh, high competition in the East Bay area, uh, among other health systems. So, uh, and the question is going to be, are we going to be a system just for behavioral health and trauma and then support for these services? Or are we going to build a, a center of excellence around a care delivery model? And I strongly believe can, that we can do both. Uh, and again, I want to highlight uh, the point that he raised that we should not meet with our labor partner only at the at the, at the negotiation table. We have to meet at the strategy table. We have to meet at the quality table. And so we have to do the same with our uh, partners in the county, uh, whether it is uh, the, the county, whether it is Alliance or the CHCN. I think, you know, working together, we can develop a very, very high level system that can, yes, deliver an integrated care, yes, a trustee esteem, the patient should not have to bounce between different system and between different uh, uh, emergency room and urgent cares and, and not have an integrated plan of care to get them out. So that's all my, uh, my uh, comment, Trustee Bouquet. Thank you, Dr. Jay. Uh, I saw Trustee Fox raising his hand, then Trustee Splendorio. Question for HMA. Um, did HMA perceive that public hospitals that were embedded in their counties from a governance point of view had superior performance in terms of reaching their constituents, quality of care and financial performance than those that were not embedded in, in the counties. Um, they're not entirely comparable um, enterprises because the service profiles across the county are different. So your system, for instance, is much more adult focused, whereas other county hospital 
arrays might have a more balanced pediatric and adult uh, focus. Um, and uh, other systems like San Mateo and San, San Francisco have very large long-term care um, uh, facilities associated with that. So, so the answer to that is a, at a very high level is no, we didn't see, you know, we didn't do the analysis to say, you know, we didn't develop a rubric to say, you know, um, on these quality measures, these operational performance measures, does the governance model make a difference or the, where the placement is make a difference? They're, they're very difficult enterprises to compare. Is that acceptable, Trustee Fox? Can I, can I add to that? We, we have yes, a ma'am. That was put out by the auditor, which I can send to you. I mean, all the public hospitals are running deficits. Right, Jonathan. I mean, there's not a single one that uh, that it doesn't have some financial issues, and that's not necessarily because they're poorly run. It's just the state of affairs. Like I said, um, there is not a lot of support for public hospitals in, in the general, you know, and that's why so many have closed as well. Yeah. I mean, all all public hospitals in California, the county hospitals are speaking about here, not the district hospital, not the UC system have um, financial challenges. There's no real estate money going into those. So the dollars that are flowing into those facilities, unlike a private sector hospital where a Medi-Cal payment is made up of federal funds and state funds, a Medi-Cal payment in the Alameda Health System is made up of county funds, non-federal funds, and federal funds. So state, um, there's a whole set of issues between the way the state and county finances work. That's the root the root of this. In addition, those revenues in general are not sensitive to volume and cost uh, that uh, in public hospitals. The base payments are far short of what other payers pay, anywhere from 50 to 70% below what Medicare pays, for example. And so as Dr. Jamelodine pointed out, there's a, there's a, a whole effort to create um, supplemental payments that are tied to performance and value. That's the enterprise. Much of that is contingent on waiver cycles, uh, uh, new financing ideas. That's why it's important that you, you work with your other sister public hospitals and financial strategies to benefit the, the, the entire portfolio across across the state. So I would just say the 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 the, the effort of of maintaining the finances of a public hospital is constant. And the difference, the big difference post-ACA is unlike pre-ACA environment, many of your patients or Alameda Alliance members have choice there. And as other parts of the health system, private sector faces erosion in other types of markets, faces competitions in other settings, Certain Medi-Cal beneficiaries may look highly attractive and people may walk from your system. Just a follow-up question, if I could quickly. Is there a, a, a county hospital system in a large population center like San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego that stands out as particularly well-managed and, and well-governed? And if so, what is the, govern, the governance model that it has? Well, I would uh, let me let me say, um, uh, San Francisco, San Mateo, 
Santa Clara, your sister counties there, um, are all in the public domain. They're all parts of county government, but they each have different governance models as to how those uh, systems are run with San Francisco having a, the health commission and the public health director and the hospital system under a, 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 a charter. Of course, San Francisco is an entirely different form of government compared to counties because as a separately elected mayor. There, San Mateo and um, uh, uh, Santa Clara, those systems operate under a type of, of um, model in county government known as a county executive, where the county, uh, uh, the chief, uh, in effect, the chief bureaucrat, I don't say that pejoratively, the chief uh, public official in the county um, is uh, has line authority over the departments. You don't have that model in um, in Alameda. You're much more structured like Los Angeles, where the, the top appointed official has, has uh, reporting authority to the board, but does not have line authority over the departments. So it's, it's, there, there are successful systems in multiple models. Yeah, thank you. That's why it's a challenge. There's not an off the shelf, ah, let's go uh, deploy this technique here. Uh, you have a set of challenges, market challenges, you have historical issues here. You know, you, it, reversibility is not just, oh, put the car in reverse and back up. Period. Things have happened. You have a relationship with, with um, through the JPA. You have the Affordable Care Act. You you have a physician realignment that occurred within your system. There's a number of things that occurred. So reversibility is not exactly um, a simple proposition. Thank you for that response, Trustee Splendorio, sir. Thank you, Tap. Uh, thank thank you, Jonathan, for your reporting. Um, and also Supervisor Chan, thank you very much. So I, I just have a series of questions and, and the, I'll start for the, the first one that I asked you back in February or March, whenever you were last with us about studying the culture of the system. And I know that's not beyond your scope, but I'll, I'll just say it again. I, I you know, I sensed a culture problem in this enterprise. Uh, and while, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this, but based solely on zoom, I see a better, something better. I can't tell you if the culture is different. I can't tell you uh, if there's the, the stress level and the anxiety level is diminished, maybe because of the labor disputes being resolved. I don't know, but I, I sense something. Um, I, but obviously people like James and, 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 and Mark, and of course, you know, the people that are in the, the, all the people that work, the wonderful people that work in the hospital, of course, would could t be the better um, constituents to, to test to that. So that's just one. Second is, and I've said that, you know, this is something you may not have heard, Jonathan, but I've said this before, is you know, this this board um, should be a strategic board and it acts as an operational board with people who I think are ill-equipped to deal with operations. I mean, maybe a few people, but not overwhelming majority of it. And, um, and it should be a strategic board. I mean, there should be uh, uh, included in the models uh, discussion of that. And I didn't see anything in your report, and maybe that's to come, but it seems to me that that should be discussed because it, and so, and then another comment is, you know, there should be, a, if it is to become whatever to be operational versus strategic or maybe both, shouldn't there be a discussion? What, what sort of people should be 
a trust, uh, kind of person should be a trustee. I mean, I, you know, I've looked at the models at Santa Clara and San Mateo and noticed certain things, which uh, leads to my follow-up to what you just said. Um, it's not that we're u- unique. It's just that every system is unique and every county is unique. And I think you know, people say, well, how can that be? Well, I mean, I learned early on that in government, you know, to try to compare yourself to Los Angeles is folly. Los Angeles is unto itself, and then the same thing in the Bay Area. To compare yourself to San Francisco is folly. It it they're they're different, and you know I, I've even noticed that Alameda is different than Contra Costa, who you know bear a lot of similarities. But so you have to look at each individual and what the quality of life that the particular folks in the county want or, or should have, and then judge you know go from there. So that so that's another thing I'd like to you know, just just address, and which and that. Alan sort of touched on this, but Jonathan, you answered it. You know, is there, should there be an understanding of the geographic? Well, you touched on it, on what I call the demographic, demographic breadth of the system, right? You said, well, it doesn't really deal with pediatrics. You know, it, it's more for adults. And that is different than perhaps other systems, but should we understand why it's different? And the same thing I would say for geographic breadth. We know it doesn't really, our system doesn't really work in East County, too much of South County. Is that important or not? And should we understand how that's different? And so those are just the things I, I've just noticed. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's a, if there's a to be studied here or, or not to be studied, but it, those are the things I've noticed just in my, you know, the short time I've been here and listening to your report and, 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 and I really much appreciate uh, further engagement, but those are my those are my comments. Thank you, Trustee Splendorio. Great comments as always, Trustee Dong. I see some hands up. I see a hand up. Uh, question: What are the next steps? And timeline. I'll, I'll, I'll throw on that onto your question, Trustee Dong. Granularity about ro- about a rollout, if you don't mind, Jonathan, uh, Mr. Friedman, if you could kind of guide or, or and or uh, Supervisor Chan. What would be next steps, and what is an estimated timeline? Not holding anyone to it, as Yogi Berra said, it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. Um, uh, so, uh, well, we I, need- I, the timeline has been has been changed somewhat by the feedback we got from our labor partners. Um, so, I think what's going to happen now is, um, like I said, you and, and speaking to what Mr. Jackson said, you should go ahead. Um, act like the board you are, make the decisions you need to make, um, you know, appoint a permanent CEO, appoint a permanent administrative structure, etc. cetera. Um, there, there will be discussions about um, an examination of uh, the next steps we're doing is examinations um, with labor about what would be, what are some not just the obstacles, but what, what would be some of the steps if we were to consider, if the Board of Supervisors were to consider going back to a county-based model. And as Jonathan said, no one is saying that's impossible. People are just saying that it's very complex and it would it would take time. I think the fastest something like that could happen would be 18 months, and I don't think it'll be 18 months. I think it's going to be more like several years because there may there may have to, I don't know for sure, there may have to be charter changes, which would have to go to the voters. Um, you know, there's a number of, because of the um, 
civil service exam system. You know, that's just one. I'm giving you an example. So I think you just operate the way you've been operating, make the decisions you have to make. The only other thing we're going to discuss is whether in the interim, whether we should, there are other improvements um, contained in, in that alternative B that we should try to implement at the same time, knowing, and I think our labor partners would agree, I have a lot of respect for their staff who's doing the research, that this, this issue of coming back to the county would take time. I think there's agreement on that. I don't know if we agree on the exact time, but I think people know that it's going to take time. Um, just to look at that. So, like I said, Supervisor Valle will be heading up that investigation. In the meantime, I'm going to um, just have uh, have some discussions with Labor next couple of weeks in terms of whether there's agreement we should make changes in the meantime or whether you will just continue the way you are indefinitely. But, I mean, you should feel totally empowered. Thank you, Supervisor. And I, you know, I, I'm... Sorry, it's <laughs> turned out. I mean, I, I'm not. So, I, I'm sorry, it turned out this way in the sense that that's democracy. So, you know, that's the way stuff happens. It is. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'll, 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 I'll I'll close this uh, this thoughtful discussion with a couple of comments. Um, one, I think that there's only one right direction, and that's to move us and the county closer together. And then that's what this whole engagement's about. It's the how. But I, the, the direction in which we go is is only one way, and that's towards towards one another. So I I, I wholeheartedly support that, uh, and then it, it bears out the dialogues on which steps is it option one, is it option two, is it all the way back into the county? Uh, I'll make a selfish comment as the board president. Uh, in any of these structures, uh, sorry, in option one, it looks like. Um, uh, creating more intercalation between the county. Uh, uh, structure and this board of trustees. And I'll tell you that I have nine trustees who uh, generally work pretty hard and it's hard to get it. it uh, burnout at the trustee level is actually a real thing too. So as to the comment of uh, having nine trustees, uh, I, I think we have enough work for more than nine trustees. And, and um, that, that, that's what I'd say selfishly as a board president, asking people to do more because it looks like more committees uh, inter in interfacing one another, which uh, so don't currently exist, and we would have to populate those committees. So that that would just be one commentary as to the number on nine versus twelve. I I get about 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 uh, you know making it more county interface, but I just say we need a full we need a full uh, a full court, <laughs> and 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 uh, nine uh, would I I think would be tough if we're going to do more committees, uh, which is sort of implied in option one. Um, but guess what? We now have the benefit of a little bit of a time to, to, to talk this through uh, as, as we engage. We appreciate uh, Supervisor Chan and HMA for actually hearing our input on this because we all care deeply about this. And uh, we are, we are uh, essential stakeholders as well. So we appreciate that we've been included in the dialogue uh, ultimately, the decision falls on onto the soups, and uh, but uh, uh, I know you know that we are essential partners to you. So, with that, uh, I appreciate, of course, Supervisor Chan coming this evening longer than uh, uh, I promised Supervisor Chan. So, thank you for staying later, uh, and to uh, Mr. Friedman, 
I, I think Mr. Norris was in the room, but he's, here. I he's still here. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so with that, I'm going to, without any objection, I don't see, I'm scanning the room for any other comments for any trustees. I'm going to close out item B an hour and a half into our meeting. Okay. So, thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor. Thank you. thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Ethan. Bye. All right. Uh, we'll close out item B and we'll go into item C, our CEO's report. Uh, good evening, Mr. Jackson. If you bought us some time back, that would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. Um, I have said it before, there's genius and brevity, and I want to show you how smart I am. So um, <laughs> I'm going to try to move through this quickly. Um, thank you, Rana, for bringing the report up. Let's move to the next slide. Um, yes, please, let's progress. Rana, are you driving, or is that... I'm on, okay. Great. So I will be providing an operations and program update. Finances are not here, and that is deliberate because our CFO is going to do a deep dive on finances later in the agenda, and so I did not include that in my report. Next slide, please. I want to start off to talk about the rounding that I've shared with you previously, um, and I have found this rounding process that is inclusive of myself, um, Mark Fratsky, our Chief Operating Officer, Dr. Jamaluddin, uh, Jenna McInnes, um, and a few others. But getting out and getting to the facilities has been extraordinarily um, positive, well-received by the staff, and insightful. Uh, there have been a lot of learnings um, during the visits. I'm encouraged um, by the conversations I've had with trustees. Um, a number of the trustees have expressed an interest in joining during the rounding. And so I I'm looking forward to having trustees present when I do rounding in the future. Um, also, beginning this weekend, I'll be doing weekend rounding, also off shift. And so I'll be uh, rounding um, on the second and third shifts so I can engage with uh, those staff as well. Next slide, please. I have, I think, mentioned before the Restoration and Oversight Committee, which is uh, the acronym is the ROC. And the ROC meets every week, and we essentially talk about how we're going to bring regular business back in a prudent but um, appropriately expedited manner to the organization as we come out of COVID. And so there are a number of bullets here, which I will not read to you, but I'm excited to share that we have um, fully reactivated elective procedures at all of our facilities. And we are also um, bringing volunteers back into the organization. Just today, we um, announced to the organization that we are going to be um, bringing in the next cohort of the HEALS um, student um, interns. And so those are, those are high school students who have an opportunity to learn about health careers. And so we now feel that we can, in a safe way, bring back the, the HEALS students. So we're very excited about that. I would just um, highlight the last bullet as well. Um, we are um, granting two external entities, um, the joint medical program from UCSF and UC Berkeley and the California Simulation Alliance to resume work in our simulation center here at Highland. Next slide, please. In regards to our COVID status, um, 
we have administered over 20,000 doses. Um, we have now reached the threshold of at least 70% of our staff having received at least the first vaccination. Um, 68% are fully vaccinated, but we are over 70% having at least partial vaccination. And last week, we hit a milestone of having zero COVID-19 patients in either the acute or the skilled settings. Um, today, there was one. So, But we are um, clearly making progress in terms of our how we are impacted by COVID. Next slide, please. There are a number of um, EPIC upgrades, and EPIC is continually being upgraded, but I wanted to just take the opportunity and share a few things that are um, happening right now. And so we um, are doing standard upgrades twice a year. We do have some key upgrade enhancements that are happening this month, which are, are noted here. And we're embarking on the behavioral health phase two implementation of the upgrade. So we're um, enthusiastic about that. And again, staff are um, actively involved and appreciative of the expansion of the EPIC program. Next slide, please. The This is a very specific piece of work. It's the COVID-19 quarantine unit closure. And so I believe that you all are aware that we had, in partnership with the Public Health Disservice and CDPH, we um, initiated a unit at Fairmont, which was 34 beds. The county provided um, some dedicated funding for that. We served over 263 residents, um, 100, almost 200 of them were actually quarantined, um, and that unit closed a few weeks ago. And so, again, another measure of the progress that we're making um, in the fight against COVID. Next slide, please. I did want to talk about the SCORE survey. This is something that um, I've talked to the trustees about before, but um in short, the survey measures important dimensions of organizational culture. Um, I was grateful to Trustee Splendorio for making his comments earlier about the culture. It's terribly important that um, as we try to achieve accountability, transparency, and enhance relationships, that we hear from the staff. And so we have received the results from the SCORE survey, which took place a um, um, month before last. Um, we are actually uh, right now pushing those results out to the leadership team with debriefings with staff to be completed um, by the 31st of July, um, and then developing action plans. And each unit will choose one to two actions um, from one of two domains, the safety climate or teamwork domains, and there will be one overarching um, requirement for the organization as well. So again, departments will have the choice, the, the chance to choose one to two actions, and then there will be the overarching system action. So um, between two and three total for every department. And then we'll be doing ongoing monitoring of the action plans for sustainability. So trying to create that um, healthy culture and the engaged uh, staff that we all strive for. Next slide, please. Um, our quality program um, is working on developing inroads into how asthma is treated here at AHS. And so this slide talks about um, some of the specific work that we're doing to um, help early intervene with those who suffer from asthma to relieve the symptoms of an asthma attack um, before they become much more severe and require hospitalization. Um, we'll be working with a centralized group of community health workers to integrate this. Um, and it's terribly important, the last bullet, I have to emphasize that, that we strive to weave racial equity into everything that we do, and that is a key component of this asthma management program that we are implementing right now. Next slide, please. 
just a couple of things that we're trying to do again to create um, more engagement with our staff um, having a talent management state of the union um, and presenting the accomplishments of the past year and current critical work and projects and then we have initiated the human resources service center um, and compliance and this is a way for employees to have kind of one-stop shopping to access human resource information and services we've received feedback that often um, staff are unclear about how to go about resolving issues that they have that pertain to human resources and we believe that this service center will help um, mitigate if not alleviate those sorts of problems next slide please thank you so that was the expedited version of my slideshow and i'm happy to take any questions thank you mr jackson Certainly. um uh council if you'll put us back to full screen thank you sir um, I'll uh, open this space up for any trustees for questions of our CEO from that report. Uh, I think I spent trustee Friedman. Thank you. Uh, CEO Jackson in your rounding so far, what's your sense in terms of the morale of the employees? I know we do surveys in other ways, but just the sense that you're getting, is there changes happening? How are people feeling in general? It's a, it's a wonderful question, Trustee Friedman. Thank you for asking. Um, again, Trustee Splendorio kind of mentioned that it's via Zoom, but that he perceives a bit of a change. Um, I would offer then the rounding. Um, it's almost a tale of two cities because the staff are very appreciative of the outreach and they... My visits have been almost 50-50 split. Some people just want to tell me what they're doing. They want me to know of their... Um, specific role in the organization and you know they're proud of their work and they want to talk about it the other half are people who have complaints or have grievances frankly that they feel have been unaddressed mm -hmm. and they are looking for venue to address those grievances um, I'm very careful to not um, compromise the the process so I'm not trying to cut middle management out of the, the work but I do want to make sure that if I hear something that needs action that I'm pushing that to the right folks and making sure that we get movement on it. So the rounding I think has been, you know, very successful. Um, and that's why we're expanding it to the weekends and after hours because those staff need to be uh, acknowledged and given voice as well. But so far it has been staff grateful to be heard and then staff who do feel that there are issues that need addressing and they're bringing them to myself and the other leaders who are rounding for, um, for redress. Thank you very much. Thank you. Trustees, any other questions for our CEO? I'm scanning. I don't see anyone. Mr. Jackson, I, I uh, sorry, who was, did someone? That was actually me. Excuse me for interrupting. Oh. Something I didn't no. see in my report, but I did want to just share. Um, one of the things that um, was mentioned by the gentleman from HMA was um, joint commission and res resolution of the joint commission issues. And, um, We've talked before about the very successful survey that we had for Highland and, and San Leandro. And we um, recently got our, our paperwork. We got the document about that, and we're going to be displaying that prominently. Um, we also had a mock survey recently at Alameda Hospital. In the window was open at Alameda, and so we brought in uh, mock surveyors, and they did a deep dive at um, Alameda. And they found um, generally that they were pleased with what was going on there they were the staff were very receptive and open to the engagement but there were opportunities for improvement 
And um, I have to say, I'm, I'm pleased with the results of that survey, not because they found things, but because this is our work. And so now we know what the target is. And so we are doing the work necessary to make sure that Alameda addresses the issues that were identified by the mock surveyors. And so when the actual survey happens, I have every confidence that we're going to have a very good survey. Um, so um, continuing, that is a never-ending process, but we are doing the work. Thank, Thank you, Chair Bouquet. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. Of course, we're supposed to be having a dialogue. I'm just scanning for trustees. I don't see it. So I have a question for you, Mr. Jackson, and you and I have had some discussions on this, but for, for public consumption. What would you see as your vision for a strategic planning and what would what do you perceive as the impediments to the development and launch of a strategic plan? I am. Um, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to gather my thoughts on that. I think that we we must embark on the strategic planning process. Supervisor Chan was unequivocal, and I appreciate that. She had said it at the retreat, but she restated it very clearly this evening. That we need to move on the things that we must do in order to um, make sure that this organization is solvent and responsive to those we serve. And um, if you talk about the hierarchy of needs, there were some very specific things that needed to be addressed when this new administrative team came on board. I believe that we have made significant progress on that. And you said it earlier, Chair Bouquet, now strategy really must come to the fore. And so um, there are two entities that have been identified at this time who can help us with the strategic planning process, which um, with your support, we will be engaging with both to identify, um, hopefully, you know, soon, the right organization to help us begin our strategic planning process. Um, COO Mark Fratsky has begun the process of talking to um, key individuals at San Leandro and Alameda in regards to developing strategic plans for um, both of those facilities, which I anticipate will be rolled into the greater strategic plan that we will develop for the organization. And so that's our work. Um, I think that that really has got to come to the fore. It has to be our top priority at this time. When, of course, once we get our budget put to bed, which um, I'm hopeful will happen later this evening. Yes, sir. Trustees, any other questions of the CEO? This is your chance to pepper them. Thanks. <laughs> um, Mr. Jackson, as always, thank you for your report, and um, we'll close out item C. Very we'll, good. We'll go, we'll go to item D, which are the med staff reports. Uh, to recall for our public and our and our trustees, this is uh, that that place where we take a take a stop and we hear directly from our med staff leaders. We should have three in the room. I can't see everybody again. Dr. Irina Williams is the chief of staff for the core uh, of, of our hospital system. Dr. Adris Afzali is the uh, uh, appointed leader for the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. And Dr. Kathy Pion is our chief of staff uh, for Alameda Hospital. Um, so let's mix it up. Dr. Afzali, are you in the room this evening, sir? I am. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Uh, Dr. Bouquet. Haven't, haven't, haven't seen you since we shared that patient. <laughs> uh, always good to good to see you. Uh, uh, Likewise. Mm -hmm. um, uh, thank you all for having me. Um, I have uh, updates from San Leandro for you. Our leadership committee met on June 1st. Our next meeting will be July 8th. 
Um, number of important updates. I've selected three uh, important items to share with you, and I'm going to start with the most impactful and one that I'm uh, very excited about. Uh, I'm pleased to share with you that uh, we're taking the next big step in improving critical services uh, for our patients at the community hospitals, uh, namely that's the neurosurgery teleconsult service, which we are going to roll out as a pilot beginning next Monday, uh, June 14th for a two week pilot. Uh, this pilot will only run at the San Leandro ED with the eventual hope of expanding not only to Alameda, but also uh, to other services. Uh, the reason why this is such a great opportunity is that this is a unique and crucial step forward for AHS. Uh, a lot of community sites typically cannot independently sustain services that we aim to offer here, uh, specifically you know, neurosurgery, uh, because of our volume, uh, that's uh, tough to maintain. Um, so this is the second in-house teleconsult service, uh, meaning that it's gonna be run and managed all internally within AHS. There are no outside contracted groups such as teleneurology. Um, so I think that that's also an important thing to, to highlight. It follows in the footsteps of our telepsychiatry uh, service, which has been operational for more than a year now uh, and has been very successful. So I'm hoping the same will extend here. Uh, huge tank, thanks to the Department of Surgery and the Division of Neurosurgery, specifically Dr. Reardon, who has volunteered her time for the next two weeks. Uh, admin support represented by our ACMO, Dr. Tony Bene. Uh, EBMG's leadership, Dr. Kilis Warren, uh, has been instrumental, as well as the other uh, subspecialty consult services that played a big part in essentially bringing this issue uh, to surface and starting the dialogue that has ultimately led us here. Uh, so definitely looking forward to this and also looking forward to sharing with you the outcomes of this pilot uh, sometime next month. Uh, item two uh, that was brought up at the leadership committee uh, was uh, security access to the hospital. Um, San Leandro uses keypads, uh, numerical codes, which are difficult to control and eventually leak out. Frequent changes to the codes have not necessarily been helpful in mitigating uh, unauthorized access. Uh, this is especially an issue to the rear of the hospital that, that has very few people um, after hours uh, and also to the emergency department. Um, and uh, uh, I've, I reached out to our, our uh, director of security, Amal Amini, um, and uh, you know, was surprised to know that this was already on, on the radar and they were in the ED the next day uh, looking at the sites and looking at the at the points of access, uh, and they will be including this in their security review. That's uh, is going to be coming up soon. So that was that was uh, uh, good to hear. And, and once it does come across uh, your um, your screen, please give it due attention. I think we need to move to the badge access uh, for better security. We're way outdated with the numerical keypads. Uh, the last item I have for you is uh, a San Leandro specific ethics committee. Uh, I had mentioned this about two months back um, and hopefully in July, we will have a kickoff with uh, representation from our uh, medicine team, our hospitalist team, uh, uh, chaplain uh, and case management. Uh, I will hopefully lead the first session for them and then hand over the reins to 
the inpatient team. Uh, the goal will be to review cases locally and mainly uh, offer education uh, and try to answer most of the questions that might arise for uh, management of complex patients. Complex cases that cannot be managed locally will be referred uh, for review and vote at the Central AHS Ethics Committee. Um, also another big important step for San Leandro. Uh, those are the three updates I have for you. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Questions for Dr. Afzali, trustees? Scanning, scanning, don't see anybody. Oh, Trustee Asim, there we go. I am incredibly excited to hear about this pilot program and the new initiatives being started and to hear that it's in-house. Did I hear that it's in-house? Correct. You heard correct. Double pleased. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. Concerns, Dr. Fazali, I think you kind of embedded them in your in your uh, in your report. Um, any other concerns if you had a rank list of them? Uh, I think that security access issue can't be topped in terms of yeah. terms at the moment. Uh, safety, right? Yeah. Safety, number one. So yeah. uh, outside of that, uh, you know, uh, I don't really have any big concerns to feel. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for your report. Um, hold on. I'm going to ask the three of you guys collectively a question at the end. I'm giving you a little preview. Um, let's next go to Dr. Kathy Pyun, our Chief of Staff for Alameda Hospital. Good evening, Dr. Pyun. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I just wanted to go into the reports about, uh, well, just talk about different issues that are coming up. Um, not in any particular order. Just We talked a lot about in the past about transfers. There's no new issues with that lately. Um, we uh, also uh, were talking a lot about subspecialty support, and uh, we do have uh, teleneurology uh, and all that. Everything's working well. Um, there are issues with e-consult. We've had uh, a working group to discuss this because once we, uh, the hospitalist or, or the ED wanted to consult a subspecialist to send the patient to an outside clinic, let's say any, any subspecialty clinic, it's often it, we don't have actually access or allowed to do that um, as hospitalists or ED doctors. And so in the past we have, so it's been, it's it, we're, we're, our workaround right now is to create an extra step by sending them to um, urgent care to have the urgent care doctor order that. And so it's an extra step for the patient, which I, I you know, that's not ideal, obviously, but uh, the feeling was that uh, they, they, they needed to have like a primary care physician or physician to communicate with. Um, to it's like a two-way street. It's not just a one-way street where you just refer someone to clinic to a subspecialist and uh, and uh, you know and disappear because the hospitalist can't can't continue to have that conversation with uh, the subspecialist. You know, once the patient leaves, they're not really in charge of the patient anymore. So, um, but uh, it's, it's, I think there are there are some work groups to discuss um, whether this could be improved and not create such a, a, a little bit, it seems like a bit of a barrier for, for patients uh, to get um, the subspecialty care that needs now patients. Um, uh, as far as um, other issues uh, of note, we did do a mock survey as uh, our CEO discussed uh, and I participated a number of physicians leaders did participate. There was a lot, a lot of good information in there, a lot, a lot to learn, and a lot of things, we, a few things we could improve, and uh, they pointed out a few things, and we're planning, I'm sure the leadership is 
working very hard on, on making sure we uh, are ready when the real thing comes. And uh, I will be communicating with the medical staff uh, regarding, um, you know, any issues that, that are coming up and uh, to get them ready for, for, the, uh, for the actual real thing, which should happen, they say, uh, could be any time, really. Um, as far as um, any other issues, uh, really, uh, at the moment, I can't think of anything else. I've, that's pretty much my report this time. Any, Thank any you, Dr. Thank you. Uh, trust, trustees, any questions of Dr. Pyun from uh, the Chief of Staff for Alameda Hospital? <laughs> Trustee Jensen? Not, no, no comment. Nothing. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. No comment. Thank you, Dr. Kim. Of course. Uh, thank you, Dr. Kim. Thank uh, you. Next, we'll go to Dr. Irina Williams, uh, who is the chief of staff for the Core Hospital uh, for Alameda Health System. Dr. Williams, are you in the room this evening? Yes. Hi, Dr. Bouquet. Uh, Hi, Dr. Williams. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Uh, so let me start with my report. Um, we have discussed credentialing and privileges um, at the last QPSC. Um, a few announcements on the AHS med staff side is that we are restarting our Schwartz round, uh, which is an activity for compassion healthcare uh, that is focused on human dimension of medicine. Um, and our first uh, session will be tomorrow. Um, that's an exciting update for our providers. Um, we have also received uh, reports from our graduate medical education committee, so our GME committee, and from our continuing medical education committee, so the CME committee and um, our organization has continued to maintain full continued accreditation status with no citations on the GME side which is great um, and our CME committee has put together a variety of um, various CME sessions and in fact we just had one uh, related to the scope and responsibilities of the medical staff that took place yesterday um, so we trying to continue to educate our providers on various um, clinical and non-clinical aspects um, of health care. Um, we have also received reports from the Department of Medicine and Department of Psychiatry um, during this uh, past uh, MEC. In terms of the concerns, I think some of them were shared today by other med staff leaders. Uh, one of the concerns remains specialty care and coverage predominantly um, in San Leandro Hospital, which is under um, our medical staff and the concerns in Alameda Hospital, Dr. Pion has mentioned already. So we do have two work groups uh, working on um, sort of um, continuity of care between acute, uh, between an episode of acute care, whether it's ED or inpatient, and um, um, then referring patients to ambulatory specialty care uh, versus getting an inpatient specialty care. So we're still working in both of these directions. Uh, we have two work groups going and, and we're making some progress in that regard, but it still remains a concern as of right now because we don't have um, a finalized answer just yet. Uh, but this is a very important initiative to ensure timely access to specialty care for our patients. And we're trying to minimize the, the steps on that way uh, for our patients. Um, another concern um, that um, I shared with uh, QPSC last, um, during the last meeting um, was a concern raised by the um, MSC members regarding um, the sort of lack of robust current process in terms of um, 
nursing quality care review. Um, but we have discussed this concern with the system leadership, and it sounds like there will be actions taken in that direction to um, make sure that we have this process put in place. Um, the third uh, concern on our key concern list is um, uh, the uh, culture of safety uh, 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 culture of safety um, survey results. Um, well, my understanding is that we're in the process of rolling out debriefing sessions, and there is a um, there are instructions from our quality department in terms of um, how to address these results and uh, report them and debrief with the teams. Um, I think uh, as a system, we still would like to um, sort of learn more about the survey and uh, the results as well as implementation plan for any changes based on the results of that survey. Um, That concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Trustees, any questions? Scanning. I think this is Kinkini. Hi, Trustee Banerjee. Yes, go for it. Thank you, uh, Chair, and thank you for all of your um, medical reports. The the dialogue and the concern about like coverage in uh, at Alameda Hospital and San Leandro Hospital, both like specialty care ambulatory, has been ongoing now for like months and months and months. So, um, Dr. Uh, Jamaluddin, like. Well, could you kind of shed a little bit of light on it? On I thank you for the working groups that are working on it, and you all are doing it. Is it? Is it? You know, even the ED you mentioned, right? Like, was it also in the emergency department and San Leandro Hospital? And then uh, Dr. Pion mentioned, is it? Is it a personnel? Not enough staff for coverage? Is it? What? What? What are? these pain points that for so many months we haven't been able to resolve yet. Uh, just uh, to understand the question, is it, are we talking, I might have lapsed uh, because I received the message while you're talking, is it the subspecialty sure. uh, uh, coverage? Yeah, the subspecialty about? coverage, but yeah, basically that, that you know, lack of coverage, specialty coverage. Yeah, we have uh, subspecialties that are uh, you know, very hard to have uh, independent individuals uh, covering each hospital. Uh, uh, for example, um, in neurosurgery, we can't, I mean, we have to have the uh, Highland team covering both hospitals, but uh, in the absence of the ability to them go and see the patients, we are trying to use the telehealth methodology uh, in uh, in uh, in uh, neurosurgery, we have uh, other subspecialties that have been very hard to hire in uh, in EBMG. Uh, one example is urology. So we have uh, only now two full time urologists to cover trauma at uh, at Highland and cover other services. And we are contracted with a number of uh, urologists in the San Leandro area, but. It took us really a long time to get somebody to go even part-time to Alameda Hospital. So it's mainly around around those specialties. And uh, when uh, patients come uh, 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 to the emergency department and they need those specialty coverage, the ED doctor uh, find themselves, you know, in need to call these people. And Highland is really the uh, the place where where uh, they they uh, default to. 
So right now, uh, some of these are being uh, referred out of our system because Highland, if it, Highland doesn't have the capacity, so our community hospitals are um, referring specialty care uh, visits, uh, care for patients in these locations outside our system. Is that right? So, so if the patient needs an immediate uh, service or an intervention, and then we can deliver it at Highland such as neurosurgery or other services, we try to bring them to Highland. And uh, if it is an emergency service, even if we don't have the bed and it's a procedure, we try to get them to Highland, do the procedure and get them to bed at uh, San Leandro Almeida Hospital. Uh, the job of the ED physician, if the patients uh, do not need an emergency service, is to stabilize the patient and then refer them to outpatient care. So uh, we have been uh, really referring as much as possible, keeping our patients in our system, but there are some referrals that happen outside our system. Thank you. Thank you for that question, Trustee Banerjee. Thank you for the response, Dr. Jamaluddin. Trustees, any other questions of any of our uh, med staff leaders? So scanning, scanning. All right, I don't see anybody. So um, here's my question. Have either, have any of the three of you ever contributed to a strategic plan for this organization? And I, I, I think I know what the answer to that is. But, but my, my follow-up question would be, how would you contemplate navigating issues of strategy for this organization through your respective MECs? This is perhaps more rhetorical but it, it's sort of food for thought because a, as you can feel the tenor of this organization, we're going to get ourselves a strategic plan and we're going to do it uh, with expedition. And, and I, I think it's essential that, that our med staff leaders are essential partners, as in step one of that, that six item thing are considered. I, I ask you to go back to each of your, your uh, respective leadership bodies, perhaps take, take these two articles with them and ask how you could formulate and contribute. And, and, and I bet you your, your CEO might reach out to you for, for your input. Um, so I'll probably close with that. Um, if any of you have contributed to a strategic plan right before, please let us know. Uh, I just don't think it's happened. So I think this is a great opportunity for this organization to envision itself. Um, so with that, I'm going to close item D, barring any other comment from trustees. I don't see. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Williams, Dr. Vasali, uh, Dr. Kim. We'll close out item D, um, and we'll go into item E, committee reports. 20 minutes were allocated here, but I think this is where we're going to buy time, right, Dr. Trustee Esteem? Um, so uh, uh, item one was the QPSC from uh, May 26. I chair that committee. In brief, we, we did our standard work. We approved policies and procedures. We approved credentialing. We heard from our quality department. Our article of, of study for that day was entitled, How Gratitude Can Reduce Burnout in Healthcare. Uh, burnout is a common theme, and there are going to be five take-home points from this article. One, try to hardwire gratitude. Two, make it voluntary. It's easy to stifle it when it becomes obligatory. Maintain authenticity. It should be organic. Our job in setting the culture for this organization is to make the space for uh, authenticity. Make gratitude a year-round activity, not just during the holiday season. 
and build a resilience toolkit. And we have a CHRO uh, in the room who, who had some nice comments that evening. We approved a consent agenda. And um, uh, sadly, I think for many of us in this organization, we, we said goodbye to our chief quality officer, Dr. Tanvir Hussein, who, who helped to navigate us uh, with, uh, with, through two gifts. Uh, gift number one was uh, his leadership in navigating us through the Joint Commission uh, uh, follow-up survey. I, I'm probably calling it wrong, uh, Ms. Perez, but uh, uh, navigating it and putting us back on the triennial um, timeline. That was an amazing gift uh, for us. And second, um, he uh, helped us reframe what our true north metrics are. Uh, those are uh, those are, are the items. Uh, I think there were eleven of them, which will be populated onto our 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 dashboard. So that was a great gift from uh, Dr. Hussein. And then, last but not least, we heard um, uh, on a quality improvement project the COVID nineteen quarantine unit um, uh, from Richard Espinoza and his colleagues. And it's this is hopefully uh, becoming a fast and um, popular item where we get to show off our good stuff on quality improvement. And again, this, this agenda item was conceived by Dr. Hussein, Dr. Jamaluddin, and Dr. Tornabene uh, uh, working with me. So appreciate that. So that closes my report on uh, the QPSC from May. Next item is uh, the Finance Committee report from June 2. Whoa, that was a big one. Uh, Madam Chair, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. It was a big one. Um, and I'll open the same way I opened last week. It has been said that a budget is a moral document and a statement of our priorities. At our finance committee last week, eight out of eight board members that were sworn at the start of the year all showed up. We missed our newest board member, Trustee Friedman, um, but I know that is just because there were many things happening that night. I appreciate that eight of the trustees heeded my call to show up including those of us who are not members of the Finance Committee. I thank you. Your presence and your wits are what make this board special and what will continue to carry us forward through the remainder of our term or until a governance change brings something new, like maybe the county absorbing the system. Uh, the fiscal year 21-22 budget was presented by our CFO, Kim Miranda. Everyone was attentive, alert, participatory, engaged, and trustees asked questions that helped us get to what we will hear tonight. Uh, later tonight, we'll see a summary of responses to our questions. And after we hear the budget summary, we'll be tasked with making a decision to pass the budget or not, but I, I'm gonna say pass. This is a decision that all of us have considered and weighed with due diligence. Last week, the committee unanimously voted to move the budget forward to tonight's full board meeting with a rec recommendation to approve. So the unanimous vote uh, is important to take heed. Uh, I'd like to juxtapose initiatives that were proposed by a previous administration with the current proposed initiatives. Previously, we had proposals for multiple programmatic cuts that would have deprived our community of necessary care, especially psychiatric care. Fortunately, members of AHS's workforce and the community we serve spoke up and pushed back. Several of our current savings initiatives that have been proposed rely on savings by way of efficiency. Considering that 80% of budgetary costs in our public safety net institution are personnel cost, logic and also kitchen table financing would say that the bulk of savings will probably be borne by the area that represents the bulk of those costs, staffing. That being said, what I see from our current administration 
is that there is a desire to, and efforts are currently being made to partner with stakeholders. It's very meaningful that the chair of our HR committee is Trustee Blue, a retired nurse and SEIU 10 to 1 member, and I, a current nurse and active member leader with SEIU 10 to 1 M chair of the Finance Committee. We, like our colleagues on the board, take seriously the roles we serve in and are working diligently with our staff leaders at AHS as they are with us. We look forward to a deeper understanding of the plans that will create opportunities for the projected savings, and we expect to hear from members of the AHS workforce throughout the year that as these efficiency initiatives are implemented, they are also experiencing a strengthening of said relationships with labor relations and HR, not the opposite. That's my committee report. Thank you, Trustee Terrestein. Uh, trustees, any questions of Trustee Esteen on the finance? And obviously, we're going to hear a lot more about that on item G1. So thank you for reserving your comments because you get plenty of opportunity next. Next for item uh, E3 is we're going to hear from Trustee Fox, who uh, uh, is our representative on the Retirement Investment Plans uh, Committee. Trustee Fox, good evening, sir. Good evening. Uh, this is a committee that oversees uh, the investments for several pension plans, uh, including both plans where the employees uh, self-direct their own investments by choosing certain mutual fund options, like a 403B or a 457B, and also a defined benefit plan where AHS uh, manages the assets via some external uh, management uh, companies. One thing we did uh, that may uh, be of interest is that the committee charter was amended to expand the committee to include three representatives of EBMG, one appointed by the board, one by the president, and, and an employee representative. The committee also reviewed the, re the investment re results of the various funds, of which there are literally dozens. We get very detailed reports that show things like the asset values for each of the funds, the percentage weight in the portfolio that they comprise, and a performance score. Uh, certain funds are on what's called a watch list. In this case, two funds, one a Prudential fund and one a Vanguard fund. Uh, if their composite score slips below a certain threshold, which is 60 points out, out of 100. Uh, there was a presentation about this performance score uh, that uh, taught, uh, taught us about the methodology in detail, and the criteria included investment returns, expense ratio, volatility, up capture and down capture, which I can explain uh, offline if anybody's interested, uh, management tenure, management turnover, and so forth. And finally, we had a discussion to inform the committee about ESG funds. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Government Governance Qualified Funds. Um, these are uh, catching on, but as of now, ESG funds are not broadly used uh, in the pension world, mainly because the Trump administration has prohibited ERISA plans from using non-financial criteria for fund selection. And most of the plans uh, extant right now either are ERISA plans or are committed to follow ERISA guidelines. Uh, the Biden administration uh, has this prohibition on hold and is reconsidering it. And that's my report. 
Any comments or questions for Trustee Fox? I have a comment. I'm so happy that Trustee Fox is on that committee because I don't know what any of those words mean. <laughs> so thank you, Trustee Fox. <laughs> um, so with that, come on, guys. <laughs> with that, we will close out um, item E. We're, we're going to go into the consent agenda item F. We do have three uh, uh, public comments for actually item F3, Foxtrot 3 on on uh on one uh, sorry on one of the contracts f3c i believe so i'm going to entertain the public comment right now if that is acceptable and then we get to consider whether we want to approve the agenda in totality or break, break one out so um our our three public speakers this evening if you if you uh speakers will please get in line we have mr richard stack then we have mr sanjay garla then we have mr matthew jones in that order um, a maximum of three minutes each, sir. Our clerk of the board will give you a 30-second warning. Um, I hope that's acceptable to you. Mr. Stack, um, are you in the room this evening, sir? I am. Thank you. Of course. Uh, you're, you're on, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, first, I would like to thank all of you in the healthcare services industry. Your service over the last 15 months has been commendable, and I've been able to witness it firsthand. I am Richard Stack, the Chief Operating Officer of Intercon Security Systems Incorporated. We are a minority-owned business with about 30,000 employees worldwide. I've been with Intercon for 24 and a half years and started as a security officer. I've been a union dues-paying member, and I've negotiated collective bargaining agreements against Intercon and for Intercon in a management capacity. Over 60% of our U.S.-based workforce is organized. We've never had a labor strike, and I understand that the SCIU leadership has sent a letter to the trustees indicating that there was a strike in 2009 at our Kaiser Permanente facilities. I sit here today to tell you that we had ceased operating at Kaiser when the strike occurred and was our successor, Securitas. We currently have four agreements with the SEIU, one in Spokane, one in Portland, Chicago, and Minneapolis. We believe that the SEIU is attempting to have us sign on to an agreement, one that they have failed to share with us, in an effort to organize workers that are not associated with Alameda Health Services. I have personally assured SEIU local members on two occasions that we will honor the wage and benefits of their current agreement as it um, represents the Alameda Healthcare Services um, employees. We hope that they would continue their um, organization's uh, um, comments with us, but we were very saddened to see that they authored a letter to the trustees that misrepresented our last two negotiations. They want us to sign this deal that covers workers that are not part of your system. And we do not believe that you should be lumped in with personnel that are protecting high-rise facilities, retail organizations, or other type of um, workplaces. This would require us, if we were to do so, to violate the workers' rights that get to choose which union they want to um, work with or not be organized at all. The board should honor the wishes of those working, thank you. The board should honor the wishes of those working at AHS 
that have chosen Intercon to provide the security services at your facilities. Delaying the process only puts uncertainty in the minds of the security officers and those they protect. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Mr. Stack, for your comments. Uh, next in on deck, we have Mr. Sanjay Garla, then that'll be followed by Mr. Matthew Jones. Mr. Garla, good evening, are you in the room? Yeah, I'm here, can you hear me? Yes, thank you for uh, speaking. Uh, three minutes on the clock, sir. Sure. Um, thank you for letting me speak, and I just want to give it up. I've actually been to a number of uh, committee meetings and hearings, and this is uh, one of the best-run uh, committee hearings I've been to. So um, congratulations, um, and thank you uh, to all the folks here that um, keep Alameda Health Systems up and running because uh, I, I'm from SEIU USWW. I'm a vice president at the union, and uh, we represent... Uh, workers in the private sector, mostly in low-wage industries, janitorial security, airports, and many of our members rely on the services that are provided and our families re rely on the services that are provided. We represent um, security officers, um, not just here in Alameda County, but throughout the country. And um, the security industry is, is a challenging industry to organize because what we have in this in this industry is competitive contracting. So contractors are constantly uh, competing for business, and uh, oftentimes that leads to you know situation where you have low cost bidding or least common denominator bidding. And here in the Bay Area, we luckily have a pact with. Um, the security companies and a lot of businesses hire them to make sure that there's rules that everybody everybody plays by. And this has been built over decades of, of organizing, including um, a strike that took place at Kaiser against Intercon Security. Um, and you know, we can provide the, the information on that if, if people want more information. Um, we're in conversations with Intercon um, and we are very hopeful. Um, I actually think I agree with Richard. They've been, they haven't been hostile. They've been positive. We're re really hopeful that we can get to an agreement. Um, so we're hoping that that happens. Uh, we are committed to making sure that security officers are given every opportunity to thrive and that they are providing high quality services. We don't want a labor dispute at Alameda Health Systems. Um, and, you know, we appreciate the support from our sister sister organization at Alameda Health Systems, SEIU 10 to 1. Um, but, yeah, I think at this point there is not a written agreement that would ensure that uh, a labor dispute isn't imminent at Alameda Health Systems. 30 seconds. We don't believe that a dispute is in the best interest of Alameda Health Systems. And so we're asking for the... Um, for the, uh, the trustees to, to table this motion um, and give us time to actually work out um, an amicable agreement with, um, with Intercon Security. Uh, again, thank you uh, for allowing me to speak and respect uh, with all respect, um, I uh, encourage you all to table this until, until there's an opportunity to ensure there's no labor dispute here. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Mr. Garl. Uh, and we'll close out the public comment on this agenda item with Mr. Matthew Jones. I'm, uh, Mr. Jones, are you in the room? Mr. Jones, are you in the room? Mr. Jones, going once. He's, he's on the phone. I think. Yes, I'm in the room. Okay, there you go, Mr. Jones. I'm glad you could make it. 
three minutes on the clock, sir. Uh, we uh, welcome your comments, sir. Game on. Okay. Um, I've, uh, thank you, everybody, for giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I've been working with uh, ASU for about three years at John George Hospital. Um, I believe that we should stay union. Uh, it helps with the benefits, a lot of non-provided non health care unions. And I feel like as though we know that intercon workers have had to strike in the past. Um, when union rights, we, we, we hope we don't have to go through that to go through that again. All we want is for whatever company HSS would want to provide, allow us to part, allow us to progress ourselves and families. We want more better, more better healthcare services as far as in providing. And I think that uh, us as security officers. It's a lot that goes on in uh, it's a lot that goes on in the hospital to protect. Um, what else? Um, I think that we should continue to go with with union because union also helps us benefit as far as with our family. Non-union is kind of hard because we'll have nothing to fall back on after we lose a contract or after we get terminated or something happened to us in the long run. There will be like no finances or anything without the union. I think that we that, that the contract should stay. And uh, that's all I really have to say. Thank, thank, you, for, thank you for your comments, Mr. Jones. Uh, that closes out the public commentary on this item. Um, trustees, I'm going to remind us, uh, the practice, uh, uh, and again, the guidance of the practice is not to respond directly to public comment, but we're allowed to have dialogue, which is informed, uh, and I'll leave it as such. Item F has three items in it. F1, the minutes. F2, three policies and procedures. F3, A, B, and C, three contracts. Um, does anyone, uh, do, sorry, do any of the trustees uh, feel the desire to pull one of these out for dialogue? Uh, I see a I'd hand like up to, by Trustee Asin. I'd like to pull out this contract uh, that was just with public comment. I believe that is item Foxtrot 3. Charlie, is that right? That's what I see, yes. Yes, that is. Uh, so pulling of item F3C for discussion. Um, I'd like to any, make a motion to table it for next month. Uh, I, uh, uh, council guide me on that one. Uh, should we pull it out for discussion first and then move from for, forward yeah. there? Or? Yeah, we'll pull okay. it out for discussion. And then okay, can... let's pull it out for discussion and then Trustee Esteen, you, you, can, you can make uh, other, uh, other motions should you advise. Um, trustees, um, uh, actually, Trustee Esteen, will you make a motion to approve the items except pulling item F3C? Sure, I'd like actually, to make a motion. Um, oh. Well, actually, hold on. To the chair, to the chair um, uh, uh, just a, a point of consideration. I just, I'd like to make the motion because I'd like to just make a comment on something in the motion. Uh, yeah, uh, 
I, I think Trustee Esteen will defer. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Go for it. But I will include Trustee Esteen's. I will I will pull um, the agreement with Intercon F3C. But I just I want to um, move approval. But first, I just want to say we have another contract on here, F3A. And I just want to point out, as we've discussed um, over this board and the prior board over the past year and a half, and we've um, established and approved the East Bay Medical Group, which is a, a tremendous, terrific organization. We also, um, tonight, we heard a little bit about some of the things that are going on at Alameda and San Leandro Hospitals with regard to unique programming for physicians and, and services. And I just want to, I just want to highlight the um, F3A, the amendment to renew the agreement with Alameda Inpatient Medical. This group of doctors is kind of under the radar, and this group practice is at all of our sites, this particular amendment is for um, Highland, John George, excuse me, John George, Fairmont, and San Leandro and South Shore Wellness, but and Park Ridge. But th these physicians, these physicians serve throughout Alameda Health System, and they're a tremendous resource. They're a tremendous um, group of people, and I just want to, I want to move approval of the consent calendar, removing item F3C, and. Um, pointing out how much I think and how important Alameda Inpatient Medical is to Alameda Health System. Do I hear a second? We have a second from uh, Trustee Friedman. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, are you pretty good on that uh, motion? You got it under your belt? Yes, sir. We're approving the consent agenda without F3C. Yes, ma'am. And Trustee Vincent's comments will be in the minutes. Yes, ma'am. Let's roll call it. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. And can I just confirm real quick, Trustee Dong, you were an aye. You cut out for a minute. Excellent. Thank you so much. Motion passes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So uh, this leaves us now with a discussion of item F3, Charlie, the intercon security systems argument. If okay, I'm going to open up with um, the first question and then let's open up with dialogue. Um, I'm going to go to our chief operations officer, uh, Mr. Frasky. Good evening, Mr. Frasky. Um, uh, Mr. Frasky, are you on? Yes, yes, I am. Thank, okay. th th yeah. thank you, sir. Um, can you talk to us about the implications of non-approval for this evening vis-a-vis uh, -vis this contract, the operational considerations? Yeah, good question. Um, and if I'm not, I'll ask Amal Amini, who's our director, to, if I'm missing any, to also um, augment this. But a couple things I can think of. Um, we're in this, during this period through I believe it's um, September 1st, um, to get the whole contract transitioned, if you will, from one vendor to another. The board approved July, August, September. So October 1st, not September 1st. Yes, sir. So yes. September 30 to get the transition completed. So one little area of risk, and I don't know how big it is, would be, it might mean that we'd have to come back to the board for an extension of the existing contract with our vendor we currently have, number one. Number two, um, I imagine it, there is some risk to staffing for our current vendor. 
um, knowing that they won't be most likely the vendor of choice moving forward. So subsequently, they could start losing some staff. That's one possibility. Um, but beyond that, um, and I'll ask them all um, operationally if there's anything he he can think of beyond that. Um, Amal, are you on? Hey, Mark, I'm here. And uh, hello, Board of Trustees. Good I think, evening, uh, Mark. Good evening. Uh, I think Mark uh, summed it up well. I think the biggest risk for us is there's a transition period from one vendor to the second and a, and a share of knowledge that takes place between the vendors and the staff that would be either brought on board from a leadership perspective or sharing information about specific posts. Now with that, we need to be mindful because it typically takes a certain amount of time. If we were to delay this approval for an extended period of time, we would have to go back to our incumbent vendor and request an, an extension. Secondly, there's, there's a lot of noise around the security officers right now. The union has reached out to them and informed them that we're changing vendors and they're uncertain and they're not sure who the next vendor will be. So there, there's some concern there that we need to also uh, be mindful of, but I think Mark summed it up well. It's really that transition period that we're concerned about. Trustees, comments? Yeah, My initial I'd like comment. to speak. Uh, Trustee Asin, go for it. Okay. Um, one of the reasons that I think it's important to hold over is because right now all of the security that's provided on the current vendor is unionized labor. And as I stated in my chair report, uh, being a person who has the protection of a union, uh, I recognize how valuable that is because what you have is not only the ability to work with conditions that are typically better than in other workplaces, but you have uh, a process for talking with your employer that it goes beyond personal assurances because personal assurances are something that can change at a whim uh, and is not guaranteed. We have contracts as unionized workers. And I think if anything worries the security officers, it is knowing that the contract is not set yet. Um, I think we have right now is June 9th to get to October 1 when this contract expires, means that we have about 80 days 80 days is quite a long time uh, to negotiate. And we're not, I didn't suggest that we hold more than one month. I suggested we give 30 days, which leaves a lot of time for the parties to negotiate. Um, none of us in this room are party to that, except for the folks at uh, SEIU, USWW and Intercon. So uh, I would like them to have the time for that. In addition, I think that the current security force is also not worried about their job loss because uh, the new contractor, according to the union contract, has to hire each security officer. That is a part of the security and assurances you have when you have a unionized workforce. You are guaranteed no job loss. So those are some of the reasons that I think we should give them the time to continue working out the agreement. Trustee Dong, then Trustee Blue. Okay, uh, I'm just asking clarification, um, a couple of questions. Um, uh, I'd like to ask Mr. Fratsky a couple of questions, just for clarification. Mm -hmm. uh, the RFP was issued uh, in what month and year? Um, I believe it was in May. 
of this year. Okay. And the award was made subsequent and went through the RFP and selection process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and the selected contractor, were they going through um, labor negotiations specifically that would affect Alameda Health System? Not that I'm aware of, um, Trustee Dong, but Amal, are you aware of anything? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. So in the RFP response, the bid is a bid. I mean, their response is their response based on the numbers and um, the facts before us during the RFP response period. Is that correct? Yeah, it was program and expenses or costs, yes. Okay. Training, um, training equipment, um, all of those things. Okay. And um, is this situation that we're facing now with labor and negotiations and a request to table, is that something that happened, it's happened subsequent to the award? Is that correct? Correct. Hmm. And it affects our workers directly. Yes? Yes? Um, and yes. Well, the transition will. The transition will. Um, and then I just want to ask clarification. I was uh, with Chair uh, Esteem. Um, I was at Finance Committee, as you know. And um, I'm just trying to want, remember, was it recommended by the Finance Committee to come to the board for approval? It was recommended. It was recomm this, this contract, I believe, and, and Amal, you can tell, tell me if I'm saying this wrong, but the it was recommendation to the full board mm -hmm. that, that it be approved. Oh, okay. So can I just ask what happened? Because the finance committee was just last. So what happened in between, if I could ask members of the finance committee? Did something happen in between? We had public comment during the finance committee. I think it was a long meeting. And as we got towards the end of the meeting, we began to remove items off the agenda and mm. very quickly. So I don't know that we had a full opportunity to digest what was being discussed. I think, to Trustee Dong, to your question, I believe um, it was toward the end, um, as Trustee Esteen has said, and I think we had three public speakers on the issue at the time okay okay all right thank you for that clarification appreciate it trustee dong uh thank you for your comments next is trustee blue and trustee esteen your hands uh icon is still up do you are come back to you got it and then um council i'm gonna need your commentary on something actually i saw mr stack had his hand up However, he was a public comment, and I don't know how to navigate that issue to give him speaking time. Right? So, uh, Council, if you'll think on that issue while Trustee Blue makes a comment and then guide me. Trustee Blue, the floor is yours. Hi, thank you. Um, so I just have a couple of questions, and I don't know who best uh, can answer this. Is there an issue with uh, delaying this decision for at least another 30 days if needed so that the two parties can come to a mutual agreement. Number one, that's my number one question. And then um, is there an issue if a motion is moved to table it to the next meeting, especially since the current contract is in place till the end of September? 
Um, Trustee Blue, this is Mark. I can answer the hi. first. Um, hi. And we, we, I, to trust, I, one of the trustees asked about the level of risk here, and there was two areas. One, the transition plan, and one, mm -hmm. concern for the employees. Um, that's what I see as the two risk areas. Would 30 mm -hmm. days delay it? Um, it? It only depends on the good progress that can be made between Intercom and SEIU. Um, if that if that moves quickly and without any barriers or concerns, it should be thirty days should be enough. The second part of your question, I'd have to refer to somebody else, maybe legal or, or something. Trustee Blue, did you get the direction you wanted on on that answer? Um, I'm just trying to get more clarity, right? In terms of if I make a motion to hold this decision off till the next uh, board meeting. Is that What is possible? our exposure? Yeah. What's our exposure? Yeah. Can I do that? Because I want to make sure that the two groups, the union and the employer or potential employer, have the opportunity to really uh, flush things out, right? And then the other thing that I do want to point out, um, this is separate, is that there are standards, that have to be in place, right? And I want to make sure that the current um, employees that we have, you know, don't lose whatever standards they have won over the years in collective bargaining. Uh, and I also want to make sure that the new employer, if we approve their contract, make sure that they adhere to the current standards that exist now within the contract. And hopefully through negotiations, if they do get um, the bid, that those issues, those uh, working conditions, salaries, et cetera, will be improved. Because this is a group of low-wage workers. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, Amal, yeah. do, you have a, do you have a comment, sir? And then I'm going to ask a question of general counsel whether Mr. Stack can speak because he came in as a, as a public commentary, but he's obviously a content expert here. Amal, I'll give it to you, sir. I'm sorry, Mr. Amini, I'll give it to you, sir. Thank you. Just a couple of quick points I want to make from some topics were raised right now in the dialogue that I believe we might have addressed during the previous board meeting. The first one being that at the previous board meeting, Intercon mentioned that they had committed to honoring the current CBA that's in place with the existing vendor and with, with the CIU, SEIU. They've committed that to them. Secondly, our understanding is the intent to develop a separate agreement between Intercon as well as SEIU is to ensure that we're meeting AHS's needs, not necessarily the broader security forces out here in the Bay Area that are funded by well-funded private HMOs and, and other healthcare players in the Bay Area. Finally, you mentioned standards, uh, Trustee Blue, and, and the one point about the standards is in reviewing the CBA currently in place with our current vendor, what Intercon informed us is the security officers will receive the same level of um, services in terms of their benefits that are currently in place, but actually their income will start, will be a little bit higher with the new vendor. So the standards will remain the same. If anything, they'll receive an increase in pay. And finally, it seems that they are willing to agree upon a, a union contract. It's just the terms that it seems like they're, they're still trying to work through, but the union piece will be in place. Thank you. Council, can you comment uh, on uh, whether Mr. Stack could be a content expert here or, or 
because he was a public speaker, he cannot because it wouldn't give equal time to our to our our, our uh, labor reps who spoke. Chair Bouquet, you have some discretion here as the chair. Um, uh, you know, one thing you could do is offer uh, Mr. Stack uh, time and also uh, allow the uh, uh, our other uh, speakers there, one of the other speakers, time to uh, speak as well. I'm, I'm going to try to get a little fancy here, and I'm going to ask Mr. Amini to try to channel Mr. Stack and see what how, how that works. Uh, Mr. Amini, what would be the worst-case scenario for a 30-day uh uh, a 30 day discussion period between these two entities. What, what, what is the worst case scenario from that? You're on mute, sir. Pardon me. Besides my, my planning wheels falling off the wagon, uh, I think the worst case scenario would be us being at risk with the current vendor not willing to extend our, our 90 day contract that we're going on an extension in the first place. And then secondly, having an imbalanced transfer of responsibilities and duties between the two vendors. If we approved it tonight, that extra 30 days would, sorry, I know the answer to that question. Planning is planning. I get it. Can we get the converse? Can we get we, the best case scenario for giving great. these things? Yes. Thank you, trustee esteem. Go for it. Mr. Amini, if you'll channel Mr. Stack. <laughs> Yeah, best case scenario, we, we come to an agreement within the next week, we share that with the with the board, and we get the approval next month and everything goes as planned. But hope is not a strategy, right? We talk a lot about strategies on, on, in this meeting. Uh, and the reason why we have that timeline and request an extension with the current vendor is we wanted to provide the right amount of time to make that transition. Hence getting this topic on this month's board meeting. I, I, I do want to applaud the parties at play because I was uh, on a prior iteration of this board where planning four months ahead of the time did not often happen with regularity. So I, I can see that uh, planning was was deeply considered in this. And it begs the question as was this planning, did it, does it confer us the wiggle we need to, to resolve the questions? I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to entertain a motion from someone. I'd like to make a motion to hold this for another 30 days. I second. And this is a tough one. I don't know. Roll call. Can we this have a motion? Wait, wait, wait. Well, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, who said that? I asked about discussion. Oh, yes, sir. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Go back I did. to discussion. The question I have is, uh, and I don't think I'm repeating a previous question, is what is the downside? If we approve this tonight, what's the worst thing that could happen uh, if, the, if the discussions between the parties don't go, don't go well? Well, just to suffice. Go, go ahead, Mom. Yeah, Challenging my, my inner uh, um, Richard Stack, I would say we've already agreed upon the current uh, existing CBA that that will be honored. So what the officers have now, they'll continue to have, worst case. And, and how long is this, how, what's the duration of the current CBA? Before you answer that, I just want to say, I think that a, a work stoppage could happen if the yeah. workers don't believe in the good faith of Intercon. Yeah. My, my understanding of the current agreement from the vendor is that the security officers have a no-strike clause because of their role and responsibility in the facility. 
Would that no strike clause be continued with another vendor? If, yeah, if we agree upon, or the current CBA is being agreed upon right now, if we continue that CBA would be the same no strike clause in. The CBA is the collective bargaining agreement. Correct. With the, the union. With the union and the current security vendor, they're willing to honor that same agreement which is in place and take it into the next contract. Okay, just want to be sure that I'm hearing the answer to the question that if Intercon, the worst case scenario would be that there is no agreement between Intercon and SEIU USWW, which means there is no CBA, which means there is no no strike clause, which means the worst case scenario is a strike and no security, which we already had that happen last year. So we don't want another strike at all. That's the worst case scenario. But, but is that the worst case scenario if, um, since the contract doesn't end until for another two months, actually? Right. With the contract doesn't end until October one, right? So that means right. right. That's that right. Means that we have until October one to allow some time for negotiations. Well, follow up question: If there's already an agreement for Intercom to accept and continue the existing uh, collective bargaining agreement, then what's being negotiated there? There isn't an agreement, Trustee Fox. There's verbal agreement between Intercon and SEIU that Intercon will uphold the CBA. Okay. So SEIU doesn't have anything in writing to back up. Of, not, uh, not, no, not that I'm aware of. No. The... <laughs> Can I ask? Can I ask Tap? Uh, apologies. I'm going to use council's discretion and give Mr. Stack uh, a couple of minutes because these are very specific content questions that we want. Mr. Stack, do you think you can do this in three minutes? Absolutely. And then, and then Trustee Splendorio, if that doesn't answer, you're on. Mr. Stack, go for it. Intercon has put in writing to the SCIU that we will honor the wage and benefits to make sure everybody's made whole to include their seniority. I've also gone on record to the board last week, and I'm doing so again today. The play at hand, and that what you really need to understand, is SCIU is not worried about Intercon recognizing employees here. They know we will. They want to organize all of our people on other contracts in the Bay Area. Those that are represented by other unions already have already made their choice. So the words that we have directly from the union is, if you don't sign on to my master services agreement for the entire region, you can't do this work. So they're not trying to make sure that the security officers at AHS are protected. They're trying to get more members. Our people have already spoken and not chosen SCIU at the Department of State and at other locations, at the DMVs, at the unemployment offices, the Elihu Harris building. They've picked another union. That's all that's at play. They know, they've had it in writing, that we will honor the terms and conditions, every word of it, except for the fact that they automatically get our people outside of AHS. There will not be a strike until September 30th. It would be illegal for them to strike because 
AUS is a member to their master services agreement. So you don't, you're not at risk there. I talked to the union again on Friday and everything was great. We were greatly surprised that they sent the letter to the trustees that they did. And it was forwarded to us and we were able to respond to them. All they're trying to do is to get leverage so that the rest of our workforce is organized. This is not about um, AHS. We are, the risk that you have though, if you push this a month, you will not have your transition of services on October 1. You will extend with your current vendor. They will change the rates. They will have you in an emergency services contract and they will charge whatever they want to charge. You won't have a choice. If you go along with the planning and you approve this, we'll have the full 90 days that we need to do a program change. For you to do anything less than a full 90 days to transition this important services, you are putting people at risk. I've been with Intercom for 24 and a half years. 30 seconds. Thank you. Never in my life do you negotiate the agreement and sign it before the contract is awarded. That happens on federal contracts to protect the Secretary of State and the president when they visit. So this is an unusual circumstance that they're trying to do, and it is not proper that they're acting in this way. They're not even allowed to organize security officers unless they um, are recognized by the um, company. That's part of the Department of Labor and NLRB um, charters. Thank you, Mr. Stack. Uh, I'm going to give Mr. Uh, Garla three minutes to respond, and then we're going to just take it back to trustees, and then we're going to we're, we're going to do some type of motion tonight, Mr. Garla. You have three minutes. Yeah, thank you. So I, so I'm, uh, I'm disappointed um, with the with the testimony from uh, Richard Stack here. Look, uh, contractor transition. I I agree that you know you need to give it a lot of time. Typically in the industry, uh, contractor transitions happen uh, as as quickly as within 30 days. Like oftentimes these these transitions happen very quickly, which is one of the challenges in the industry. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, we have nothing in that's legally binding in writing from the company uh, that that promises anything. So we cannot. Uh, I, I just think it's it's. Uh, it's it's inappropriate. Um, it's not true uh, that that we have some sort of agreement that that doesn't exist. Um, so we we believe in a good faith effort that that will that will produce agreement if we have the thirty days to to have more conversation. Um, I disagree, and I think it's a mischaracterization of what we're asking for. All we're asking for is that um, Intercon agrees to the same exact standards that everybody else, all the major employers in the Bay Area have agreed to. Nothing more, nothing less. We're not seeking to represent employees that have chosen another union. You know, that is all untrue. So uh, I would appreciate the, the, the trustees to give us another month. Um, it, it, you know, this contractor transition can happen in, in the period of time that's needed. Um, I don't think that the the contractor, that the incumbent contractor has any interest in burning its relationship with Alameda Health Systems. They're the contractor for the county. So um, they're, they're well known in the community and, and in, the, in, in the county. So there's no reason for them to, to try to, to, um, to do, do some of the tactics that were outlined here. So again, 30 days is all we ask. 
Thank you for both of your both both sides. I'm going to go with Trustee Splendorio. Trustee Blue, is your your hand still up? Uh, I can Trustee, talk after Splend. Uh, 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 you're talking for Splend. Doesn't have anything. No, no, no. no. Oh, you can go, Trustee Blue. So um, I just want to point out with Mr. Staff in terms of some of the information that he put out there that there would be what we would call rating. And I'm very familiar with this, being a former union officer uh, at the local level and also nationally. So that's an outright lie. And so that makes me really angry that he would put something out like that, that the unions would raid each other to get rid of the other union that was there. That doesn't happen in labor, right? Um, and I don't think 30 days is unreasonable to ask that they continue to talk and i'd like to see the signed agreement talk is cheap right but i want to see signatures on the dotted line because that gives me confidence that there was a good dialogue that happened and that union members approved the agreement your comments trustee but that's it thank you all right other trustees yeah, no, I, Trustee yeah. Splendorio, yes, sir. Oh, okay, so Amal and Mark. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. This is all going to fall on you. Um, I mean, you know, I, I don't have an issue with 30 days because um, I suspect that, you know, 60 days or some period of time is probably enough time to transition. But I'm going to take a very dim view um, because if it's not resolved in 30 days, that means you may have to go back out and get this rebid, which means you have to continue with the current, which means, we, you know, we pay a lot more money uh, for um, security. And that's a worse scenario than what other trustees seem to be concerned about. So, um, uh, and I, you know, I, I see this as a strategy to achieve some other goal that by the unions that doesn't really benefit Alameda Health System. Because um, all we care about is a, un is a contract with the employees for the system. Um, so that's how I feel about it. I, I fully intend, I would like to vote in favor because I believe that the downside is far greater than some strike or anything else. It's that we may have to continue using the same people while we rebid. And that means that they can charge a lot more money. Uh, so that, that's how I feel about it. And so again, I mean, I'm happy to vote for another 30 days, but if there's a problem, you're the two people that I'm going to look to is why didn't you solve this? And I know you're not in the, in the middle between the union and the contract. I get it, but I mean, but that's how I look at it. Sorry. Trustee Dong, I see your hand up. Trustee Blue, your hand is still up. So let me know if you want to speak again. Trustee Esteen, your hand is up. Uh, so we'll do Trustee Dong. Uh, Follow-up question to Trustee Splendorio. In the RFP, if the number one firm does not work out, do we automatically go to number two? Is that how it's set up here? Uh, Trustee Dong, so you know, I, I'll have to look at it, but we have a lot of discretion uh, in terms of how we can uh, assign this contract. It's not uh, firm until the Board of Trustees approves it. So. Uh, we can go back and and uh, and and choose the the second one to answer your question. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. 
Trustee Friedman had his hand up. He's been waiting for a while. Oh, sorry. He's on the second I'll screen. Trust, Trustee Friedman, that light is probably burning Thank ahead. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I think that we're not going to resolve this tonight, and I think the original uh, suggestion by Trustee Esteen to uh, delay this for 30 days gives times for both sides to reach something in writing. So I'm going to make a motion that we uh, postpone this decision for 30 days and give the parties time to work out something concrete in writing that then we will feel comfortable that we're not doing an uh, injustice either way. We have a motion on the floor. Second. Trustee Bouquet, there's already a motion. There's already a motion. Second. a motion. And second. Okay. So the, so so we're at roll call. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Can you clarify, Rana, can you clarify? I think Louisa made the motion. I I, I believe she did. I think Trustee Friedman wants to call the question. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so Trustee Esteen moved, Trustee Blue seconded to hold um, the intercom contract for 30 days. It'll come to the board next month at the, at the meeting next month. So we're all good with that. Yes, that's the motion? Yes. All right. Uh, um, can I roll make a comment before the roll call? Sure. I just wanted to ask, um, since as Trustee pointed, Esteen pointed out, this hadn't really been considered because of the other things on the agenda for the finance committee, whether this should go back to the finance committee with a recommendation to the full board. I, th I think that's a great question, Trustee Jensen. And it buys us a little more wiggle room on talk time. Chair Bouquet, uh, so, you know, we, I think we've discussed this in another, in another context. We can go directly to the board uh, okay. or uh, uh, the, to the full board if that's what uh, you would like to do. Does not have to go uh to finance finance that's yeah okay well i guess my my question was to the finance chair whether that would be um something that the finance chair or the finance she would feel that the finance committee should have the first or have the Strike next review or to the full board totally up to the finance chair madam chair would that would that be a benefit to you in navigating the question I mean, I can appreciate Trustee Blue's request for signatures on the dotted line. If, you know, if the parties have come to resolution, I don't know if we need to make this a conditional motion. If the parties come to resolution, then they can come to full board. If the parties have not come to resolution, then we should take two looks like we normally do with contracts. Let, let, let's bring this to finance committee. That gives us a little bit of a, a, a one week wiggle room. That gives us two extra days uh, for the Friday because we need to post that before. So, so uh, uh, can we have an amended motion to bring this contract back to the finance committee at their next meeting in 21 or whatever it is days and um, to uh, make a uh, help me out here at council. <laughs> Let's, let's bring it back to finance for finance to, to move it forward to us or not. And if they don't, we'll just have this friggin' discussion again. So do I have to withdraw my motion or accept your thing as an amendment, as a friendly I, amendment? I don't know the answer the to latter. that. The latter? Then yes. I accept your friendly amendment. <laughs> Thank you for calling me friendly. Madam, Madam, Madam Clerk, will you repeat whatever friendliness happened there? 
So uh, <laughs> the amended motion on the board is to move this contract to finance committee on July 7th. Um, who will then either approve or not at, at that point. Okay. Is that acceptable? Yeah. And do we need a second to that friendly amendment? We do. I, I, I think I heard esteemed and blue both agree. Was Am I wrong? Yes. A double second. Okay. We like that. <laughs> All right. Let's roll call it. Let's do the roll call now. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Trustee Splendorio. Yes. The motion passes. Dialogue is so important. Thank you for that. Dialogue is so important. Okay. Uh, with that, we're going to close out item F, and we're going to go to item G. Uh, we have kind of a big G items. We have the budget. Um, it's been slated for 30 minutes, but this finance, the finance, actually eight, uh, the majority of this board had about a four-hour discussion on this issue. Then we're going to hear from Dr. Chitra Kiliswaran on EBMG. Uh, then we're going to do quickly through some board performance and calendaring. So, um, Madam CFO and Madam uh, Finance uh, Chair, uh, lead us through item G1, the 2021, uh, the, sorry, the, the, the budget. All right. So, um, I've been allocated 30 minutes, um, and I do want to leave some time for discussion. My plan is to give you a, a recap of the budget uh, and then address four points um, that the Finance Committee wanted uh, brought forward to the board tonight. Um, I am hoping that we will uh, gain approval to the budget, and I want to remind folks that we would like um, uh, an adjustment to be made um, based on the actuarial report we will receive for the ACERA pension plan. It'll give us a good idea of what our long-term funding responsibility will be. It does not have any impact at all on cash flow. And I'll, uh, I'll show you in just a, a minute here what a uh, visual of that. So if I can get my screen to advance. There we go. So this is the proposed budget for 22. Um, we have a net income loss of 9.1 million. That's uh, below our target. We had wanted to be at break even. Um, moving down uh, to the EBITDA adjustments or the non-cash items, you see a zero here in this amortization. This is the long-term portion of the pension funding, doesn't impact EBITDA but I would like to get it as accurate as possible. And we are expecting that actuarial report in a matter of a week or two. Um, I do believe that our returns were good and I don't think it'll be an expense. I don't know that it will be a credit, but um, I'm not expecting anything significant out of it. Um, so for the budget, as it's stated now, we have a $26 million EBITDA, which is a 2.3% uh, margin. Astute folks might comment here that our current net income loss is 29.8 million. So I'm, I'm projecting the next two months, things will improve. 
And I just wanted to point out what that is, is we do have a, we have negotiated our FY21 rates for behavioral health with the county. And we're expecting that we will accrue revenue for that increase. And it's being offset by the SEI retroactive payment. So there's some other, you know, annualization changes, but those are the ones that are really actually ending up in a pickup. So this slide I'm going to use just to give a summary of the key components of the budget. Uh, we're starting off at a negative position in FY21 of 9 million, as you just saw. Um, we've got green or positive impacts from supplementals. Um, primarily that's GPP, that's 20 million offset um, by rate range and a, a positive change in our measure A funding. Uh, the COVID impacts here, uh, as a reminder, we're not going to get the relief money we got from CARES. That's about 31 million. Um, but we are going to have net patient service revenue because we're expecting patients to come back at a positive 40 and a net improvement on expenses because we won't have the leave of absence, which were about 9 million, other costs of about 9 million and 1 million of ongoing costs um, that we think will be long-term impacts after the COVID pandemic. Um, we did have one-time labor impacts that we don't expect to happen again. We had the retroactive settlements for the SEIU and CNA of about 8.5 million. We had the strike. We are not looking for another strike here. So that's a 10 million positive this year. And there's also been quite a few severance payments that we've made this year that we don't think we'll make again. Our volume, if the growth is not a lot, again, we pretty much um, put volumes back to the pre-COVID levels. Uh, that's really pretty much GI and surgery. We have an investment here being made in access and network. The majority of that is in IT infrastructure. It's about $6 million. It's funding things like securing our network from um, getting attacked. It's my health. Um, it's also project management for some of the items that we are planning to uh, do in our performance improvement. Uh, there's also specialty doctors, additional specialty doctors of about 3 million. Um, we've, we're taking a, um, a, a big positive from these performance improvement issues. This is where most of the risk in our budget relies. These are things like overtime, length of stay, revenue cycle improvements, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, there is a negative hit here for the investments in quality. Um, what that represents is um, additional funding for getting patients to the right level of care or getting their needs met of about 1.6 million. There's also additional staffing. We need to be able to report for QIP. That's about 2 million. We're also doing a nurse uh, training program, ICU surgery. Uh, we're expanding palliative care and we also increased for some break relief in, uh, in a couple of our facilities. The uh, uh, CPI here is mostly labor. That's 31 million. Uh, the um, uh, impact of increasing labor also increases benefits. And then there's a CPI for other expense items about 2.5 million. This other is mostly 340B. You add all this across and you get to our proposed budget here with a $26 million EBITDA. All right. So then that results in a cash flow. 
Um, I'm bringing forward EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest and depreciation. So this is basically our estimated cash flow at 2.3%. Um, I'm uh, reflecting a pretty substantial hit here. I mean, it was a big positive last year and the year before, and you know, pretty much nothing those two years. But um, I am uh, projecting a negative. 63 million of that is timing differences on the supplemental funds. Uh, in the budget packet, you have the supplemental funds and the cash flow, so you can see which items those are, at least on, a, on the prospective basis. We do plan to pay 13.1 million of these old recoupments, this old waivers down here at the bottom. This was 71 million, now it's the 58. So that's coming right out of here too. We have to fund that. Uh, and uh, there are um, some positives. We've got behavioral health funding. We don't think that we will get that additional retroactive money uh, in this fiscal year. We'll get it next fiscal year. And then we've also, we're also assuming that we will reduce our AR days by six. So that's an additional 7.9 million of cash flow coming in. We do have to pay EPIC, that's a committed debt. And then over here is our capital outlay. We have a total of 18.3 million from these two projects, the Alameda Seismic. Uh, and this is a, a, actually a host of a lot of other items that are still pending that haven't been completed and paid for. And then we have 14 million of new items. This was another request to finance committee. They wanted to know more about, you know, what items we were um, planning to uh, purchase. So I've got the detail in the, in the deck here and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then uh, the net of the county transactions is a net positive. So if you add these down, you get to a negative cash of 59 million. If you add that to our line of credit, which we I'm estimating here at 20 million at June 30, again, we will meet the terms of the NNB here, 20 million outstanding, add it to the 59, brings us to 79 million, just about 80 million. Our NNB has to be below 115. So we have cushion here based on this budget and this cash flow. I have to remind everybody that we've got these recoupments. These have been here for a long time. This is not anything new. Uh, we have paid down this first one, which is which is good. Um, but if we did have to pay all that out next year, we would exceed the NNB. So that's the cash flow. Um, there is risk in this budget. Um, we have. Um, a lot of performance improvement initiatives in here. And we know that it's going to take a vast cultural shift in our ability to manage change. And that is the entire organization, including, you know, our, our board and, um, and other key stakeholders. We expect, you know, achieving these is going to, are going to cause uh, uh, some disruptions. Um, but, you know, we do have the plan. This is part of the plan. We want to be transparent and we want to engage all uh, stakeholders. Having said that, this was an area of a lot of discussion in finance committee. And uh, I was asked to go back to the budget oversight committee and come up with confidence levels on whether we can achieve these performance improvement items. So that um, is one of the asks. The next one here is the there was concern that our volumes may not ramp back up to pre-COVID levels because if you look at our volumes today, they're currently not at pre-COVID levels. 
So a second concern of finance committee is what is the risk to the budget if we've overstated our volumes? So I will address that item. Um, also on this page is telehealth. This was um, addressed in the deck and uh, I think that we've put that one aside. Length of stay is part of the PI that I'll talk about in the, um, the confidence levels. So is the overtime. Supplemental funds are always on this list. They're always subject to change. And then we have this added item with the Alameda Alliance and their methodology change to assign members, which could be could have a financial risk for us. Okay, so this was asked number one. Um, what are the what's the sensitivity for having budgeted um, higher than uh, expected volumes for COVID? So what I did here, because we don't have entity-based financial statements, we don't have net revenue at the entity basis, so I had to come up with something. So what I chose to do was just to look at net revenue based on a 16.8% overall collection ratio. So pretty simple, but I think it's the worst case and it's meaningful. So having said that, starting with the acute days, um, we are 5% over our current run rate. All right, so I assume we're gonna ramp up over our March-April trend um, over the summer period. So I'm just comparing from July to October. So average month, average month, 5% potential overstatement, worst case. 3,591 is what our net revenue at 16.8% works out to so if i took the difference in the days it would be 1.2 million all right that sounds like lots okay uh that's in a month however you have to remember that our direct costs which we should be able to control we should be able to flex staff we shouldn't have to buy you know a lot of direct supplies to take care of these patients so we should be able to control a lot of that our current um direct expense ratio on our cost report is 19.8%. We use 16.8. So actually that would indicate that our cost would be more than the net revenue from patient services. So what does that mean? That means that our supplementals potentially could be impact, but at a 5% for a few months and contingent on payer mix and lots of other different things, I don't think it's something we need to worry about. John George. John George, these percentages look high. They, John George was clearly impacted by COVID and the fact that we were able to get folks out sooner and we had to you know, make sure we had social distancing as best we could. I think a lot of that is gonna be um, relieved before the end of June, maybe by the start of the next fiscal year. But in the case here of John George, we've put the maximum contract value in our budget um, with the county, and that is almost 90% of the payer mix. And this amount here is diluted because we have so many denials and admin days. And again, this is part of the performance improvement. This is another item we were asked to come back and give more information on, and I will do that in a minute. Uh, again, though, I don't think this is a concern. Next, we have ED visits. Um, here, this is a big percentage, 13%. If I do the math out, that would come out to about 780 or rounded 790, um, I'm sorry, 689, 700 now, uh, um, thousand a month rounded. 
again, I looked at the direct cost for just the ED at 16.9, it pretty much eliminates this. So it would end up being a supplemental kind of an issue. Um, and keep in mind, most of our revenue comes from the trauma and the payer mix on the trauma patient. So I really don't think the ED visits themselves are going to um, really bear any risk to the um, financial statement. Surgeries were almost built back, so I don't think there's it's anything worth talking about. On the skilled nursing side, we expect by the end of June that um, these red-greens and the testing is probably more important than the red-green zones. Um, so we think that we should be able to um, uh, pick our senses back up. Uh, I think the issue with the skilled nursing is more in lines with roof leaks and not being able to open all of our beds and construction closing down beds. And we're not adjusting the budget for that. So I, I, uh, I think that um, there's not really a lot here that we need to be worried about. I know I'm flying through this, but um, stop me if there's something you don't understand or I'll just keep going. So uh, the next, oh, I did uh, want to back up there. I went through each one of these. This $9 million, it doesn't say this here. We probably missed it. That is three months worth of net revenue, and I've just told you why I don't think that that is relevant. So the performance improvement, I just thought I better have this in uh, um you know, at hand quickly in case, you know, we need to pull it up again. Um, these are the items that are built in the budget. These are the, you know, what they are, the descriptions, who the executive champion is. These are the items that are not built in, starting with IOP. I will comment here that we haven't decided whether we're going to do a wellness model or not. Um, we've, we don't have anything built in the budget. I do think there's an opportunity. We know that our losses there are, are quite a bit more than the 2 million, but we also know that, you know, we can build, do a better job of billing. We know that there's a lot of improvements that can be made. Um, but I, I think that this description is inaccurate. So my apology for that. I did not catch it. I think this is just coming from a previous presentation from a long time ago. So I do apologize. So again, we've got 25.6. This ties back to my original slide on what's in the budget. And we've got these stretch opportunities here of 20.5. The 20.5 here um, would actually get us, if we you know, hit a home run and, and we're able to be successful in these initiatives, we would actually achieve the target that the finance committee set for us, which was to get to break even. So this is the confidence level. So this was the ask, um, you know, hey, go back to the Budget Oversight Committee. Tell us what you think. Do you, you know, we, can we really achieve this? Is this possible? Is this too much of a stretch in our budget? And based on that, we, we went item by item. We talked about it. Um, and we came up with the amount we think at risk. So, you know, maybe we've been a little bit of aggressive here. It equates to about 5.2 million. Um, this board could approve the budget and say, hey, Kim, you got to back this out. And you're going to have to figure out on that cash flow how you're going to manage it. But um, that is it's set up this way. So if there's something here that really somebody is concerned about, we have the ability to make an adjustment to the budget and still approve it in a motion. Wanted to point out that if we made 26% of those other items, 
talked about IOP a little bit that I think that we have some low hanging fruit. Um, you know, we could offset this. So I, then the next third item that I was asked for is more on John George. So this slide attempts to do that. Um, I think uh, the county and, and um, AHS realize we have a loss of about 20 million. We know that we need to do things better. Um, we want to make EPIC our AHS source of truth. And the reason for doing that is we can get reports, we can get information, we can act real time on the information instead of you know working off of paper and delayed um, information. Uh, we know that we need to reduce the number of admin and denied days. I mean, th these are just way too high. There's always going to be denials, but this is this is not acceptable. Um, we also know that we have a high length of stay. It did improve with COVID because we were able to discharge uh, folks to um, locations that may not have been available pre-COVID. We know that we have very high overtime and that with better management, we can control that down. And we really need to maintain our staffing um, based on labor standards. So uh, lots of areas to improve there. Um, we're doing sensitivity modeling and um, we are uh, in conversations with the county so that we can partner and hopefully get this whole situation in a much better place. So that was request three. Request four was more detail on the capital budget. Uh, I was asked to give categories. We wanted to know, you know, what items were strategic in nature, had an ROI, you know, what things were just, you know, just to keep the lights on, what are, you know, areas of concern for patient safety, regulatory. You can see, you know, a lot of this stuff is just the basic things that we need. There's very little in the strategic and ROI. We talked about it, finance committee, we do not have a long range financial plan. So we're not supporting that in this effort. That's something that we need to do. Um, and I thought the best way to handle this question is really literally just to show you what's in there. So this is the equipment and this is the kinds of things that we're looking at. This ties to the 1.6. Um, we are, this is the capital budget here. This is cash flow and the way our we're um, looking at our uh, requirement of a balanced budget is that the cash flows work. So that cash flow statement said with this budget, we are ending up with a negative, mostly because of the balance sheet changes, but we are within the NNB. So we are balanced. Um, so these are the items we're asking your approval on. In this case, we're thinking we will fund all of them in the fiscal year. Uh, for compliance and patient education, we're approving more than what we will actually fund. So this will be carry forwards in future years. Um, you can see the biggest items here are nurse call system. And we want to uh, build out the pediatric dental clinic. Uh, those are the two biggest uh, there. Uh, then here's the infrastructure and here's the new strategy ROI that was specifically asked about down here. So, you know, not a lot of items there. And again, because we're not working towards a goal and a strategic plan, but I'm going to start at the top. So the infrastructure, the big items are a broiler, the roof, uh, roof replacement, um, you know, ED roof. I mean, this is all stuff that is, you know, needs to be done. 
Um, going down here for IT, IT has quite a bit here of uh, almost 4.5 being approved and we will only fund 2.7. Uh, and then the new and strategic here, this is the um, Epic Beacon module. Uh, we'll start it, but we won't finish paying for it. Kronos, we plan to get done this year. And then there's this um, ERCP um, that most of it will get funded in this fiscal year. So that is my presentation quickly. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Do you mind putting us back to full screen? Uh Ms. Miranda? Absolutely. Uh, my, my initial comments are, um, wow, I mean, uh, the Finance Committee gave you uh, some objectives to complete, and you, you did it, and I know that that was uh, a lot of work. I feel like I'm echoing. <laughs> um, do, do any of the trustees have any specific questions of either our finance chair or our CFO, and if not, can we entertain a motion? Comments from any of the trustees on this matter? I'm happy to make a motion to approve the budget as as recommended by the finance committee and as presented by our CFO. Uh, Trustee Spandorio, hold, uh, hold on that one second. Last stop. All right, I'll take a second. Second. I'm just I'd like to make a comment now that the motions have come and gone. Yes, And I'd like to say thank you very much, uh, Kim, for this presentation. And with brevity, you're also very smart, as our CEO said. Um, I want to make sure that we um, recognize and acknowledge the ambitious nature of this. And as I stated earlier in my chair's report, how different it is from what we saw last year, that we are not talking about cutting programs. We are talking about capital expenditures and investments in our system for improvement and patient safety and patient care. So I just want to say, you know, here we go, guys. Game on. This is one of our jobs, right, to approve a, bu a budget. Uh, Madam Clerk, I thought I heard a motion. In a, uh, sorry, Trustee Fox. Another one of the uh, thank you. I you know, also express my thanks for answering the questions and for the clarity of the presentation of the budget. And I know this is a massive project to get to this point. So I appreciate uh, the length and breadth of what everybody in the finance department, with help from IT, I'm sure, has done. One of the things that we did discuss at the finance committee last week is the what the how the county will receive a budget that's not a break-even bottom line. And uh, I think someone is going to try to look into that. I'm just wondering if there's any uh, any response on that issue. And Trustee Fox, I think the question was what the definition of a balanced budget was specifically. And, uh, you know, we went back, we looked. Um, there, Unfortunately, there is no definition. There's no specificity. There's no formula. And you know, we sort of landed here is uh, what the ordinary meeting is, and you know, uh, good faith effort. Uh, 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 you know, when you're projecting, it's really a reliance on uh, you know. In the past, what we've done is reliance on the uh, prudence of the CFO, and in conjunction with the uh, finance uh, committee. 
So we're posting a positive EBITDA budget. Mm-hmm. Operationally, 0.5%, I believe. Is that right, Trustee Fox? Negative uh, 0.5? I think, two, I think it was 2.3% on the EBITDA margin. And narrow, negative 0.5? negative margin on the... Uh, operating. On net income. In net income. That's correct. Okay. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you read uh, the motion and uh, announce who the second was and then take us to a roll call? Actually, I have a note. Can I make a comment, Taft? I'm sorry. No. So, I mean, I I asked the questions in the finance committee about the CapEx budget. And and I, and I, you know, I also was someone who said that, um, you know, we don't really have a strategic plan. And because I, I, I do fear that we are not spending sufficient on CapEx for strategic initiatives that will, you know, both improve the quality of care provided to um, the residents of Alameda County and, 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 you know, and, and, and it, it, to fin- complete our mission or actually further our mission. So uh, I, you know, I, I just want to recognize that without a, a strategic plan, asking for more spending on CapEx seems hollow to me, but I'm, Taft, you've said that we're going to, you know, we're going to jump into a strategic plan, and I hope to be the one that says, that's right. And if we have a strategic plan, that means that we're going to, whatever that means, modernize, but it means spending money on capital equipment or capital expenditures, then I'm going to harp on that. And that yes, sir. we need to find sources for funding for that. That's, to me, very important. You know, we, we you know, it's like you can't have a leaky roof, but you also got to, you know, stay with the times and 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 build up our 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 our, our, our infrastructure. Agreed, Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, I uh, thank you so much, Kim, and your team for like we had such a robust discussion, um, and um, in finance committee, and I'm glad I was able to attend and participate in that. And really, this ties back to so much that our cap capital budget is literally like fixing roofs and buying like urgent so many deferred uh you know maintenance stuff and like uh, equipment are falling apart and that the whatever discussion that we had in the first part of our uh, board meeting today about our governance structure and about like bi-directional accountabilities and relationship and partnership and uh, if we are going to embark on a strategic planning process and look at critical service lines and what our county needs for a good continuum of care. All of that will need infrastructure and funding and things that 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 our community deserves. So I think the financial aspect of our agreement is going to be a very strong part of, you know, however long the overall governance structure takes, but those things have to be uh, ongoing and urgent conversations happening. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any other comments on this? Searching, searching. Everyone's getting tired, I know. Madam Clark, let's do a roll call. Yes, uh, motion is to approve the budget as presented. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. 
Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Motion passes, thank you. Madam CFO, congratulations. Mr. CEO, congratulations. Madam Finance Chair, congratulations. All right, that was a big deal for us. Big milestone. That was a big milestone. Now let's do it. Um, all right, that's item G1. I know there's fatigue, which has already set in probably about an hour ago. Nonetheless, uh, on the theme of strategic discussions, East Bay Medical Group uh, launched as, uh, as an entity in this organization on July 1st, uh, 2020. Um, just recently, uh, we appointed a president, Dr. Chitra Achillesvaran, an obstetrician gynecologist who has actually some special skill sets in managing organizations. I've asked her uh, to, to uh, participate here briefly, uh, apologies, Dr. Achilles Warren, on a strategic, I'll call it ruminations, thinking about the role of EBMG in vis-a-vis -vis strategy and the like. We're only going to do this for about 10 or 15 minutes, and sometimes the good discussions bear out further questions rather than answers, but I wanted to give Dr. Achilles Warren venue. And um, Dr. Achilles Warren, the floor is yours. Dr. Achilles Warren, I was just texting with her. Hold on, let me see. She She's here, uh, Dr. Bouquet. Uh, we're just having a little connecting little to audio. Got it. Little tech difficulties. Wouldn't know what that would be like. <laughs> Can everyone hear me or no? Yes. Good evening, Dr. Killis Warren. Good evening, trustees. Thank you for the very illuminating. Uh, it's been really great. Um, I will keep this. I know folks are eager to, to move on. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Yes, ma'am. Great. Um, well, I think this is a um, apt time to discuss strategy and strategic questions that are coming up for the medical group um, at this particular meeting, just given the content around strategy and finance today. And I think um, our group is a presentation where the rubber hits the road when it comes to the strategic decisions that are made at this level at the board of trustees and um, the system level trickle down to the decisions that I have to make every day. Um, what services do we offer? What specialists do we hire? Who do we not hire? Um, what do we choose not to invest in at this time? Um, and so today is not so much me describing our strategy um, because ultimately that strategy will be dictated by the strategic plan of the system, but really to give you a sense of the questions that the organization EBMD is contemplating in determining a strategy. Um, and so I start with just a little bit more color um, than I've provided in the past. And I think um, Dr. Jamaluddin um, could probably comment even further on this, but this is sort of a schematic of the physicians and how they're organized in our system. And um, probably not to scale in terms of size and impact, but you can see East Bay Medical Groups on the left side, about 300 physicians underneath this organization. But then we have a number of other physicians that are uh, part of uh, Alameda Health System um, that have various relationships to the health system. 
Um, we have those that are exclusively contracted, like our UCSF colleague in surgery. We have contracted that may also have private practices or work elsewhere. We have about 60 of those contracts. We have employed physicians um, who primarily are in leadership roles. And we also have employed and represented um, physicians, predominantly our primary care physicians who staff our non-Highland-based wellness clinics. Um, the medical staff organization um, at Alameda Health System, including EBMG. Um, but then, of course, EBMG has a special relationship to the Board of Trustees directly. So I think it's worth, at some point, um, and this is an ongoing conversation with um, colleagues there, is just how do we want to structure these relationships and what makes an important question is, um, as we start to become a unified delivery system across campuses and across sites and across specialties, some of the projects that you heard about earlier today in terms of ensuring that we have access, the same access to specialty services across all of our hospitals, uh, the same access to primary care, the same access to um, the types of things that we're able to provide at an acute care facility like Highland um, to our colleagues in the community um, are things that are determined by the sorts of relationships we have to physicians. So, for example, the neurosurgery telehealth pilot that's happening that I've been helping shepherd forward, um, that will also, that's a, that's a UCS, those are UCSF employed um, physicians that are contracted to work here exclusively, so they're dedicated to our system, but that contract will be amended to include telehealth consultation if this pilot is successful. So, it's physicians. And I think as we know, um, as well. So, um, the more that we can unified and chips don't have to be uniform. Um, they can be different based on specialty, based on site, but they have to be um, driving towards a single strategy. And so, some of the questions that come up at this point for me, um, and I, I'm, this is, these are ongoing dialogues with our, um, our executive leadership team um, as well, is, you know, as physicians and as and me as a leader of EBMG, I, I'm very eager, eager to mobilize our physicians to be partners and drivers, especially those performance improvement um, opportunities um, that'll drive our budget forward. Um, and physicians will be a very important part of that. But there are various competing priorities. There are operational goals like throughput, length of stay. There are quality metrics, um, including dollars at risk around um, QIP. There's the idea of preventing leakage and keeping services in network and expanding our network to enable that. Um, and there are there's the idea of inviting additional volume, building relationships with referring um, systems um, like CHCN. We can't do all of this at once. Um, and, you know, I actually went to Harvard Business School and I learned from people that define strategy the first time. And my understanding of strategy is not what you do, but what you don't do. So what are we not going to do here? And it doesn't mean that we don't do it at all. It means we deprioritize it relative to other goals. Um, and so I look forward to working alongside our um, our team at AHS, as well as you all, to um, establish some prioritization and sequencing because we cannot have all of these prizes that we are going towards. I think there's a, another uh, secondary question of just how do we expand the footprint of EBMG to support the larger system goals? 
are there other relationships besides employment that EBMG could have with physicians so that we build our network? Um, if if um, providing that broader, broader footprint is a part of AHS's goals, and my understanding is that it is. Our South County patients are, I, I actually see patients at New York Wellness Center, almost all my patients are referred out for um, whether it's an imaging study, whether it's actually giving birth, um, whether it's a specialist referral um, or ancillary service in the community, that's essentially what I have to do when I'm working there. Um, how do we ensure that our patients are actually receiving high quality care within our system um, consistently? So I, I'm going to leave it here, um, but I look forward to hearing your thoughts. And um, this can certainly be just uh, food for thought for later on. Um, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Chitra, do you mind putting us back to full screen? Thank you. Uh, Dr. Killiswaran, again, thank you for the thoughtfulness. My apologies. This is the end of the evening when brains are fatigued. But this is important stuff to regularly agendize this because EBMG is a large part of our, our, our physician body within the organization. And uh, while we have many strategic partners, that we need to consider the physicians are strategic partners in developing the strategy. And what I heard from the president of EBMG is, it sound, it, it, it's uh, difficult for her to guide her organization without the strategy driv driven by us. And, and uh, as Trustee Splendorio noted, we don't have a strategic plan. So this, uh, as I'll, I'll reiterate, as, as far as I'm concerned, this is priority number one for us moving forward is to help navigate this question. I'll open up this up for other trustees to ask questions of Dr. Achilles Warren. I have a question. Yes, Trustee Jensen. Um, my, well, it's not actually a question, but, but to your point and to the, what's been raised tonight about our strategic plan for uh, EBMG and for um, EBMG and AHS together, as pointed out and, and as I pointed out when I approved the contract for Alameda, Inter Alameda Inpatient Medicine, that there are a lot of different um, provider groups, a lot of different, both union groups and independent providers and um, EBMG and a, a lot of different groups, UCSF. So given that, and given that a lot of these are contractual arrangements and different from the arrangement with EBMG and AHS, um, I just consider, I think of Kaiser and all the docs, and I have friends who are physicians at Kaiser, and they basically, it's top down. They do what what KPMG says to do, and that's how it works. And with regard to the the ideas that Dr. Akhil Swarn has brought forward, which I completely agree with, the things um, that we need to do in order to be successful, including the um, the initiatives to QIP and those types of initiatives, lengths of stay, et cetera, to have everyone on the same page. How do we do that when some of the some of our providers are operating on a contractual basis with a certain scope of work and other providers are EBMG or actually employed providers? Uh, I, I think that question is a great one. And maybe the the, the existential question is, uh, uh, are we looking for an integrated group? And when we say integrated, we mean integrated across contracts, integrated across quality, integrated truly in the organization. Are we just looking for a physician contracting group for some physicians? And that would, I think, be a strategic question of us. And I got to tell you, I don't know where the answer is where we resolve these dialogues. Um, and that's why I want Dr. Akila Swaran to have a regular place here 
to at least bring forth the questions that are that lay on answered for us because there are a lot of questions which were I'm not going to say unanticipated but I just haven't been uh, uh, explored and and uh, we don't know how, uh, we we the royal we haven't governed how to explore those questions or at least I feel like I don't I'm not armed to answer that trustees any other questions Com sorry comments. Yeah, kind of. Um, can you, can can you, This is um, in in that similar vein that hopefully, like each um, physician group will not do this in isolation and silo. That only BMG, only AIM, or others. That there'll be some process through the whatever framework we container and framework we create for the planning process, strategic planning process that. Uh, the physician groups, whether you're contracted or employed or leaders, no matter what the um, relationship structures kind of come together to be doing some of this jointly as well. So like, of course, some have to be within their own specialties and their own areas of focus, but kind of larger system-wide happens very much. There's cross-pollination in the work that happens. Yeah. I think there are very many governing challenges and, and for, for the old trustees, remember I, I was excluded from these conversations because I am an employee of EBMG. But, but remember that the EBMG board reports to this board, yet that has not happened in execution uh, uh, or, 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 or enter that, that, that governance uh, item as, it, as it's displayed on that governance chart has not again really been fully executed to to how it was envisioned. Uh, so that that becomes a little bit of a sticky question. How do we do that? Because the the, the president of EBMG needs guidance um, um, from both her board and ultimately we are the governing body for the organization. So I I, I asked I, I wanted to give this place for us to contemplate how we answer these questions because they're unanswered in in my opinion. Um. Trustee Splendorio, you always got something cool to say. Not right now, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. I don't. Um, uh, any other trustees? Scanning, scanning. I see. Hey, Taft. Um, hey, um, through the chat. Yes, ma'am. To reiterate what, what, what you were pointing out, it as we look every every time we meet, we, we approve contracts and we hear about um, – about Medi-Cal waivers and about supplementals and things like that. And I, to your point, I, I really want to make sure that our physicians are providing input on all of those things. We, uh, we heard tonight from, um, from our, our MEC leader at, or at San Leandro or our medical staff leader at San Leandro about issues with, um, with security there. And then we were asked to approve a huge security contract. I don't know what, if they relate, if those two things are issues, if, you know, um, how the contract has been supported or not by by physicians at different sites. So that's just kind of a, an example that probably isn't that relevant, but I really agree with um, having Dr. Thiel Swarn join us at, as much as possible and to have the input from physicians at all mm -hmm. levels and all decisions. And, and then us to contemplate how the EBMG board will interface with our board because that's the governance structure. Um, uh, Dr. Achilles Warren reports to her board. 
she's she's the front face to EBMG as she should be, but she has she reports to her board structure as well. And again, I well, um, how many how many physicians are in EBMG? I mean, I just throw this out there. How many physicians of all the providers at Alameda Health System? How many are in what proportion? Is it EBMG is 50, 60, 70, 80 percent, would you say? 20, 30? I'm, I'm just asking. That's a great question. Um, I know we're, we're about 300 or so are under our umbrella. Dr. Jamaladeen, would you happen to know the total? I've been trying to get my hands on that. Uh, I, I, uh... Uh, I think that's uh, that's a correct number, Dr. Achilles Warren. Uh, but we have uh, a number of physicians who are credentialed and uh, and they uh, work part time or they are uh, uh, privileged and not uh, contracted. So we have a number of physicians who are privileges uh, in the in the San Leandro and in Alameda Hospital, and they might not be contracted. Uh, but I would say uh, the majority of the services right now are uh, within EBMG, and a uh, number of uh, contracts have uh, migrated, uh, you know, besides the O-Care and the EHP, uh, have migrated towards uh, EBMG. Uh, that's number one. I would like just to make a couple of comments. One is that uh, we have, uh, in terms uh, of the workflow governance, we are governed by the Clinical Practice Council, which is a system-level council where we look at workflow and policies, and there is a shared agreement between the medical staff and the nursing staff uh, uh, about uh, work workflow uh, as, as it uh, relates to... Uh, like uh, if you say the AIM group, they are very, very engaged in those decisions and the team at San Leandro are also engaged with those decisions. So there is a lot of uh, work around, around uh, systemizing the workflow. Lastly, uh, as it relates to contract, you gave the example of the security contract. The security contract and the RFP uh, team had on it uh, physicians, uh, they were mainly from the ED physicians, Dr. Barry Simon and representative from the ED physicians. I, I think there was a representative from Alameda. I cannot, I cannot determine that, but we, we include physicians in the contract evaluations, uh, especially if they are uh, clinically impactful. Uh, so, Thank so, you, so, Dr. That's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, so as, as a comment, I, I believe from, from prior data that there are about 792 physicians in the organization, and Dr. Achilles Warren says about 300 are in EBMG. We're talking less than 50% of the physicians. Um, so that's an important strategic consideration for this organization. And again, we're not going to answer that question tonight, but the data will help us to answer those big questions. And I'll just throw out one. Should EBMG be the, quote, contracting entity for all physicians? Big fat question mark. Uh, and uh, I would wonder about that because right now it seems that it's less than 50%. And if we're trying to drive quality and the like, one might argue it might serve better to be uh, a, a set of standards that for which everyone uh, contributes to. Trustee Fox. Well, maybe less than 50% of the bodies on the medical staff, but what percentage of the admissions what percentage of the patient care yeah. is actually provided by EBMG? So great questions. And uh, Dr. Achilles Warren sort of a little bit of a data freak. So you bet you she's next time she's going to come tell us that uh, because I think that's going to uh, help leverage 
all these discussions. So with that, I apologize to end a, a, a rising good conversation, but I see fatigue in everyone's eyes. Dr. Achilles Horn, you will be coming back to us, okay? And she froze out. Um, so um, there she goes. Um, Dr. Achilles Horn, thank you so much, okay? Thank you. We'll, we will that, we will close item G2. Item G3, council, will you quickly walk us through this and this action item? for approving a 401H account, which doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, so uh, Chair Bouquet, this is something that we, uh, that this board approves every year. It's uh, money to fund the retiree uh, medical benefits uh, account uh, oh. through ACERA. So, you know, this, this is just sort of, uh, it requires to pass a resolution every year, I think. Okay. And so okay. trustees have already seen this a number of times. Uh, Trustee, Friedman. Trustee Friedman made a motion. Come on, second. Come on. I heard a second for Trustee Spandorio. Let's roll call it, Madam Clerk. Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Uh, motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. With that, we'll close item B3. Item B4 was on Board of Trustees performance. I'm going to make this super quick. We're, 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 we're still uh, uh, engaging a process. Trustee Banerjee has been very, very helpful on this. We're engaging with the Governance Institute as well to find out about what scoring system we're going to be using for ourselves. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna put Trustee Banerjee on the spot, just know that she's working, she's worked uh, behind the scenes uh, on, on this issue. Uh, we of course are gonna push this out to all of us for our review before we actually launch it. Um, know that that is in process. Uh, we already have a, uh, an account um, on, on, with the Governance Institute and there's, there, there's some value with using the Governance Institute because it gives us, offers us some comparators. We've done some of our own internal stuff. Apologize, Trustee Banerjee, I'm gonna ask you, give me a little bit more content uh, on, on this one. Yeah, thanks, uh, Chairman uh, Bukit. So, uh, and I have to say that our uh, Vice Chair, uh, Trustee Jensen was also on the call. We apologies, apologies, Trustee The Governance Institute, and yes. ultimately it will be the Executive Committee that will be um, doing, um, kind of leading that work, but because I've done it in the past and I've uh, working both on CEO evaluation as well as the board evaluation with the Governance Committee. So in the past, we've kind of um, taken stuff from the uh, board evaluation that the Governance Institute had and customized it a little bit uh, to make it relative to our context. And so we've had an instrument for board self-evaluation. It's both self-evaluation of the board as well as a, peer, a very, very small segment on peer evaluation too. Like we also do a little bit of evaluation of each other in, in very short terms. Uh, we spoke with the, we had a meeting with the Governance Institute maybe three weeks ago, and they've sent us an instrument that is really pretty um, extensive and covers every, um, you know, all of the big 
uh, board um, elements, uh, competencies, uh, we and they will be able to if we if we want to customize it a little bit, they will be able to do it. Um, the general timeline is that during the October retreat of the year is a board retreat is when we discuss the board self-evaluation and our own evaluation. So if we kind of work back from that and we want to have the evaluation completed, the report done by uh, the end of October, we are looking at launching it sometime in August at the latest. So I think this June through August period in the next 60 days, um, I'll support this in um, any way I can. And I think the executive committee, board committee will uh, will be kind of finessing and uh, getting that together with the Governance Institute. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. And sorry, Trustee Jensen, for, for uh, uh, skipping over you on that one. So um, uh, appreciate to both of those trustees working on that. The other item on Board of Trustee performance, uh, apologies, guys, it feels a little bit elementary. We're just going to be, uh, I've been having discussions with council and with the clerk we want to make sure that we're all in attendance and our attendance record like like uh, in government uh, is is, uh, is is going to be part of the record. Ultimately, I'll be communicating with you. We have a good attendance, but we, we, we want to be on display to our public that we're performing at that level. So those are the two elements for Board of Trustee performance. Uh, we'll close item B4. We'll go to item B5. Guys, this is the end of it. Um, let, let's um, talk about the calendar. Basically, two calendar items I want to have discussion. Historically, uh, this board, except for the quality committee, has been dark in August. I think that's related as a parallel to what happens in the county. But my counter argument is that, that we have plenty of work to do. Um, and, and I would favor making August a regular month for us. Um, um, uh, item number two is um, uh, planning of a retreat. Um, we've made some prior discussions vis-a-vis -vis, um, uh, our own performance, and I'm I'm one I'm trying to entertain, and, and this can come out from the clerk of the board at a later date for exactitudes. But a September, maybe a late September retreat rather than an October retreat given the strat strategic consideration. So two things on the board for brief discussion. Number one, keeping August open to all regular committees. Two, September for the board retreat. Um, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Kath, um, I'll comment. Basically, I think that um, one of the reasons for August um, in most government, a lot of governments and districts being dark is that when she passed the budget and and you have your contracts that begin usually on September 15th or October 1st. Most of that work has been done by August, hopefully. And so um, it's just been, in my experience on this board and other boards, it's been an opportunity to give the board as well as staff primarily a break because it is a lot of work for staff to put the packages together and everything for, um, for all the committees as well as the monthly meeting. And so I, I think I agree we should have a retreat in September. That would be ideal timing. And to your point about being dark in August, maybe that wouldn't work if we're going to retreat in September to not have meetings in August. But um, I'm, I, I think that it, it's not, it, it would deserve more discussion with staff and with leaders, at least, before we make this decision. 
Thank you for your comments, Trustee Jensen. Others? Come on. No comment? Well, Trustee Jensen made the comment I was going to make that it's not to me a question of us on the board. It's a question for staff. Maybe they routinely plan vacations in August and preparing for committee meetings and the board meeting is a lot of work for them. So to me, that's the top consideration. Trustee Dom, thank you, Trustee Friedman. I'm going to agree with the last two speakers. I'd like to give staff a break from us. <laughs> okay. This is not a voting item. Um, uh, what, what I'll say is I'll confer with staff. So thank you, trustees. You just let them off the hook um, with, with that. So um, I've never been dark with quality. <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. And um, uh, I'll confer with uh, staff on, on the question of August. Is there anything that we need to accomplish in August? We have to approve credentialing. So we will be, we will be there for that. Uh, but are there other... HR or audit compliance or, or, or other finance considerations beyond the budget, which need to be discussed would be the question. Are there any opposition? So August we'll, we'll put on hold um, for that discussion pending my discussion with uh, uh, the CEO and I'll, I'll, I'll give the ball to him and make him make the call on that one for me. Is there any opposition to a September retreat in the, in, in forming the same format, uh, a single day, probably a Friday. There are five Fridays. I'll ask the clerk of the board to poll availability for one of those Fridays uh, in September, if that's acceptable. Would this be live or virtual? What's your anticipation? Yeah, uh, yeah. Please be live. Please, please be live. Uh, well, I heard some <laughs> feedback, and this, this actually does go to board performance, and I'm going to actually – ask ourselves on June 15th, this, this state opens up. What is the state of how we do meetings? Man, this is too big a question for the end of the night. I know I'm contemplating it and I'm wondering about the high hybridicity <laughs> about, about those who can attend, can attend and offer an option. Um, I think this is our super important question for everyone as we do it. I think, uh, you know, uh, being in person uh, gives us a different flavor of thing, but but accessibility is so important to all of us. So um, I'm gonna, in a different conversation, ask our CEO to have discussion with our tech team to see what our uh, capacity is to do virtual meetings. Uh, sorry, hybrid uh, meetings. Um, Chair Bouquet, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. No, no, of course. Just one thing to keep in mind here is that uh, how the Brown Act will be impacted once uh, the uh, once we uh, open again, uh, I don't know what June 15th opening means with respect to the Brown Act because, yeah. you know, practically speaking, um, uh, we're going to have to go full live if we go back to the law as it was prior to that day. Uh, Governor Newsom extended the uh, order uh, modifying the Brown Act, I think, last week or the week before. I'll send that to you. Thank you. So I don't think it's a consideration yet, but once eventually that order expires, then you're absolutely right. Trustee Friedman, thank you. If you'll confer with general counsel who can advise us on the state of uh, the question on the table, counsel, is our ability to hold hybrid meetings. Yes, absolutely. And yes. also to keep in mind, there's legislation active uh, about 
uh, when we go come back live that we are going to be required to do some sort of hybrid. So okay. we got to keep on that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'll, I'll track those. Uh, those. Thank you, Trustee Dong and Trustee Friedman. Thank you. Thank you, Council. Okay. Um, with that, we close item G5. There are written reports. Does anyone have any questions on the written reports? Long, long meeting team. We're at 943. Uh, uh, we're got now, audience, we're going to now go into closed session. I'm anticipating a relatively short closed session. I would love for us to be out by 10, 10.05. Um, and I'll, I'll blame our CEO if, uh, if we go longer on that one. So, um, council, if you can uh, put us, good night, good evening, everybody. We'll come back and report out if there are any actions. Otherwise, trustees, we're going into closed session. And uh, council, a uh, CEO will guide who he wants in the closed session room. All right. Uh, so the board is going into closed session to consider uh, public employee performance pursuant to the government code. <laughs>